0: Carlson,
1: Carlson, världens bästa Carlson, 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 Carlson. Hoj, här kommer Carlson. Carlson Carlson, Carlson Ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson, vill jag så bra som mig Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson,
0: Madden's best at Carlson. Yes! Welcome,
1: everybody, to another episode of the Keeping and Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest-running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who just barely have more players to talk about than the Pittsburgh Penguins scored goals today. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, I love seeing that smile come across Brian's face, with me, as always, our very good friend, the fantasy hockey robot, the
0: poopa of prognostication, it's Brian Kamm! Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. Yeah, how about the the pens hanging 11 on Detroit? Seven of those coming against Alex Nedeljkovic on just 15 shots. The good news for Nedeljkovic managers is he had only stopped six of 12, so had a, a 500 save percentage on 12 shots, which I feel like might be an NHL record for a number of shots faced with a 500 save percentage. Uh, he was able to come back into the game after being pulled uh, for Calvin Pickard, who then got injured and Nadalkovich went back in and then stopped two of three, which up to save percentage by, you know, just about that much and uh, might have saved your seasons in the process. I don't know. It's more likely he wrecked you. So I hope nobody got bit too hard or that you benefited from someone else playing Nidalgovic today. I know that today marks the end of the cupful regular season, keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, KKUPFL.com. We have the playoffs coming up. We're super excited. I imagine all of your playoffs are coming up too. And have we got the goods on the show today for you to make your team super competitive through the playoffs all the way to win your championships.
1: Yeah, I'm sure anyone who is looking at this episode in their podcast feed is seeing like a two plus hour show. That's just my guess. We'll see how this goes. But yeah, our plan for today is we're looking over the next three weeks of the NHL season because like for the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patriot Fantasy League and probably a lot of other leagues, these next three weeks are the playoffs. You got the quarters, the semis, the finals. And so we're looking at every single team, ranking them from least number of games played over these next three weeks to most games. And then we're going to you know dive into each team and find a little nugget that can hopefully help you obviously for the teams with a few games we're going to be like maybe is it time to drop some of the higher end players because they don't play that much for teams with a lot of games we'll try to give you some good players that might be under the radar that you might want to grab like you know a 12 game in three weeks player that's not that great. Might still be better than an uh, eight game in three weeks player. So that's going to be our plan for today. We're just going to go through every single team in the league and we'll see how long it takes us. Before we get into it, of course, Keeping Carlson very proudly presented by DabberHockey.com, the number one fantasy hockey website in the world. If you're doing well in fantasy, it's probably because you're checking out Dabber Hockey every day. They've got amazing articles by really smart people and the tools at Frozen Tools just cannot be beat. Uh, so yeah, that's what I use to prep the show. It's amazing. DobberHockey.com. But okay, Brian, I guess with that, let's just get started. Like I said, we're going to go with the fewest number of games played all the way to the most games played over these next three weeks. And I'm going to start in Vancouver. Not a great schedule coming up, okay? They play three times, then three times, then two times if you make it to the finals. So at least, you know, they're fine over these next couple of weeks. And then maybe it'll be in the finals where you definitely have to decide if you're going to drop someone. But maybe you just want to get ahead of it right now. At least next week, the Canucks play Monday, Wednesday. So even if we're talking about a player like Brock Bezer who we're going to get to, who maybe you might not decide to keep. At least keep them Monday, Wednesday, right? And then maybe you drop because they don't play again until a busy Saturday at the end of the week. But you've got some other guys like Tanner Pearsons, Connor Garlands. You know, these are the types of players that I would be easily telling people that they can probably drop with a bad schedule. But, you know, Monday, Wednesday, you're playing with the red-hot JT Miller. Keep him for those two days. But Brian, I want to ask you about Brock Besser. Okay, we had a patron, Gus, who asked what to do with the guy. He only has four points in his last nine games. He's getting great deployment, right? He's playing with EP40 and Bo Horvat, and he's on the top power play. But for some reason, Besser is just not producing. And... He's a really hard player to keep right now with this weak schedule coming up again. You have like I just added Tanner Janot in the couple, though I'm skipping next week. We'll get to Nashville. They only play twice, but you know if I could have eight games from Janot in the semis and the finals versus five games from Besser, I like I'd probably take Besser over Janot if it was even. But you know this is going to be a tough decision for people to decide. Do you hold a cold Brock Besser with a weak schedule? If you look at the whole season, he's only on a 51 point pace if he played a full 82 games. So it's not only is he a keeper for these next couple of weeks, I also kind of. I want to know is he even a keeper like for next season like we are in a keep eight league I assume Besser's going to be a keeper for someone but I don't even know if he would crack my top eight at this point especially if I didn't have a good reason to expect him to do better than what he's done so far this year
0: I can't blame you for being down on Brock Besser I had a trade offer in the kick-up full on the table for Brock Besser and Seth Jones I was sending Darnell Nurse and uh, one of my hot LA kigs at the time, like Kempe or more, maybe a slightly better player. And I was a little stubborn about it. It seemed like a no-brainer, like I should absolutely be taking that deal. Brock Besser coming my way with Seth Jones. So I'm basically downgrading Darnell Nurse to Seth Jones, which isn't a huge downgrade, except there were scheduled implications. But still, for Brock Besser to make up the difference, it seemed obvious. And I keep Thinking, I, I dodged a bullet. I mean, I missed the playoffs, so it doesn't matter either way. But I, I, at least I don't have to feel awful about never ending up taking that deal. And I'm trying to look and figure out what's going on with Brock Besser this year. My first thought was to see if there's been any difference between playing under Travis Green versus new coach Bruce Boudreau. Uh, and if anything, things have been better for Besser under Boudreaux, which I'm not sure what you would have guessed. I didn't really have a guess, actually. I just thought, well, maybe nothing's changed. And not much has actually changed. But Besser has been doing a little better under Bruce Boudreaux. He has another couple shifts a night at five on five. Better on ice performance from his line. Things are clicking a little better with him and his line mates. I mean, with Travis Green, things weren't even that bad for Besser, though the percentages were god-awful. Brock Besser was shooting below 3%. His line mates were shooting below 3%. That's just bad luck. I'm not attributing that to coaching, but there's been definite on-ice improvement for Besser and his line beyond just in shooting percentage. Actually, individually, Brock Besser is putting up his best shot rates since his rookie season, but those have unfortunately been paired with the worst full-season shooting percentage of Besser's career. Uh, and things looked good after that coaching change too like maybe things would turn around with his bad shooting percentage Besser scored five goals in six games when Bedreau uh, came to town and we all wanted to believe Besser was back since then Brock Besser has 10 goals in 33 games which isn't awful it's a 25 goal pace but just three even strength goals over his last 33 games Besser is leaning hard on that power play production, which I'm going to touch on again in just a second. But if we're looking at Besser, like the big picture here, he's been a 65, 75 point guy his whole career, which counts four years before this one, including his rookie season. I really just think, I think there's a couple things happening here. First, his five on five shooting percentage is 6% this season. That's taken away some of his goal scoring at five on five. And his five on five on ice shooting percentage is also around 6%, also a career low. And that's taken away assists that we would have otherwise expected to see. He has a 25 goal pace on the season which isn't that bad compared to his career numbers, which show a 32-goal pace over 82 games. Uh, But like I mentioned, he's only hit those 25 goals because of that crazy, monstrous power play production. He's been more dangerous than ever with the man advantage. Besser's already tied his career-high 10 power play goals that he set as a rookie in about as many games, actually. And I think he can keep up this power play production. So for next year, the question is, is the 5-on-5 production going to come back? I still really like Brock Besser to return to the 65-75 point range. Hopefully the high end of that, and I think it's still there. For this year, I think Besser has just had a case of whatever Pedersen has had too. You know, things just aren't working out, and sometimes that's the answer. You could hold your breath and hope things regress. If you're looking for just the rest of the season, you could hold your breath and hope things come back to normal for Besser, because all the numbers seem there to support expectations for a good season from him. But honestly, I would have an itchy trigger finger if I were in a do-or-die scenario and Brock Besser had this really bad playoff schedule coming up. So I, I don't blame anybody who's ready to cut ties and be impatient with Brock Besser. And I am looking more to next year for his full recovery to getting back to being a 70-ish point player who can put up 30, 35 goals in a season. I think there's still upside for more, actually. But for the rest of the year, he's a, he's a dicey guy to roster, especially if you're losing games played in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, I think I'm with you. It's kind of crazy when I say that he's playing with Pedersen and Horvat and on the top power play, you'd think, like, okay, so he's getting the top possible deployment. But, like, no, like, if Pedersen and Horvat are both pacing for under 60 points this year, it's playing with JT Miller. That's where you want to be. He's pacing for over 100 points. Things have really changed over in Vancouver. And I guess that's another thing. It's like Besser is not playing with the primo players. And, like, how many players can you have, like, getting 65 plus points, right? Like, you would expect Miller and Pedersen and maybe Horvat. And then, so what, Brock Besser is like the fourth best forward, I don't know, he hasn't been so so much better than Connor Garland even, so yeah, I guess we'll see if next year he could bounce back a little bit, but I agree with you Brian, it's a tough hold this year but also, don't drop him for nothing, and again, at least keep him for the Monday, Wednesday, get a couple more games of data two games in three days, can't argue with that okay, so one team down, 31 to go, let's go to Vegas next, who also plays only eight times over these next three weeks, three times next week, then two times, then three times in the finals, so yeah, that semis is going to be really hard to hold some of these guys, Uh, though one player that probably isn't worth holding, but definitely is worth discussing is Mr. Boomerang himself as his official new emoji for the Vegas Golden Knights of Genny Dodonov, who had goals in four straight now. There was two games before he got traded. Then he didn't play a couple games, and then that whole debacle happened he ended up you know, the trade got voided. He's still with Vegas, and now he's scored in two games since. He played with Eichel and Stevenson yesterday and also played on the top power play. Next week, Wednesday plays Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. So while it's only three games, they are on off days. So you're to get all of his games I would say if you have him now you know maybe you're dropping him and then trying to get him back on Wednesday but if like he's a free agent I actually kind of think he's a good ad potentially come Wednesday just because of this deployment this is hard for me to say because Dodonov is always someone that's let us down all season long but if you're playing on the top line and top power play with Eichel I mean I don't know I like this situation even though I know Dodonov is a continuous disappointment to us
0: A continuous disappointment to us is the perfect way to phrase Dadanov this year and last year. It's funny. He's found new ways to disappoint us, right, since leaving Florida. And honestly, it might have been a little disappointing that he didn't make it to Anaheim. Poor guy. Can you imagine being essentially fired and then, like, forced to be taken back by your employer? And how hard that must be, but he is back with a vengeance. Uh, Dadanov's scoring goals lately and now has five goals on his last 12 shots. He's more of a stream than a hold. Like, I'd rather take it one game at a time with Dodanov. You know, he has no less chance of performing any given night than most top streamers in a league where, say, you have about 250 players rostered. So you could... You have two choices with Dodanov. You could work the roster spot that you would hold him in and try and get an extra two or three games out of it rather than just the three he's going to offer you this next week. But if you're not going to get more than three games out of the spot... Uh, assuming there's no for sure better options out there for you. I think holding Dodonov is a line one power play one guy. That's a place he could produce from. He did it in Florida. I imagine he can still play that role now to some extent. His current scoring is not sustainable, right? Five goals on 12 shots. And again, I would rather uh, stream him than hold him. But if you're comparing him to a bunch of other three game streamers who aren't top line, top power play, I would just be okay with Dadanov and hope it goes well. Yeah, I think don't grab him. Take maybe a
1: Carolina player who plays Monday, Tuesday, next week. I don't know, get your Martin Natchez. I don't know how deep your league is, right? And then swap him for Dodonov and for when You're getting five games then. So maybe that's a way you can play it. By the way, in Vegas, welcome back. Alec Martinez, out of nowhere, like he's been like practicing forever. So I didn't even like pay attention. You know, uh, Shams and I are always retweeting things for the Game Day News NHL account. And, you know, at one point we were, you know, retweeting when it was a Vegas beat writer saying Alec Martinez is at practice. But it, like that got boring because he was just always there, but didn't mean anything randomly yesterday. It was like, oh yeah, he's actually going to play. It's like, what? I can't believe it! And it looks like he got eased in. He only played 13 minutes and 48 seconds, but in that time two blocks, three hits. So, you know, the peripherals were there. Only one shot, no points. But, uh, you know, I'd imagine that ice time is going to go up. And so maybe those peripherals can get even higher. Maybe he starts getting more involved with the offense. So he's definitely someone interesting to me. And also, we got to mention the goalies, right? Robin Leonard apparently could be back soon, is what I've read. But until then, Logan Thompson has, like, taken over. Uh, Brassois got injured. But I feel like even if Brassois wasn't injured, like, Logan Thompson was clearly outplaying him. He's played eight straight games now. has done pretty darn well overall. And Logan Thompson is only... Rostered in ten percent of leagues on Yahoo, so I'd say if he's not taken in your league, and if come Wednesday he gets the start, and there's no news of Leonard like imminently coming back, how can you not want this guy? Especially since they're playing Seattle on Wednesday. It's it's, it's going to be a good, probably a win. So uh, I'm into Logan Thompson. I'm surprised he's still only ten percent rostered considering considering he's played these last eight games and has done well.
0: Me too. I would have assumed it, he would be more sought after. I mean, of course, you have to take percent rostered with a grain of salt at this point in the season because a lot of leagues are inactive and a lot of teams are checked out but logan thompson as a starting goalie on a team that isn't bad like vegas is not as great as they have been but they're also not bad I'll go ahead and take their starter, however unproven. I agree, Elon, that regardless of whether Brassa was injured or not, we were trending towards Thompson anyway. You know, he's had a couple duds, but is mostly decent. 9.14 on the season, 55% quality starts. And that's somebody who I would be interested in come Wednesday, assuming he's going to keep starting every game. And I don't see why he wouldn't until Laner comes back. I think that's a solid ad. Yeah. And, you know,
1: you might see these news items like, oh, Leonard is potentially going to come back next week. You know, we also saw that about Max Pacioretty and then he was a game time decision. And the next thing you know, oh, now it's aggravated and he's going to be gone now for a long time. And I think Leonard's the type of goalie who's had so much injury trouble that I like I'm not wishing anything bad, obviously, but like I wouldn't be shocked if they were like setback. We're shutting Leonard down. You know, it, it definitely could happen. So I would grab Thompson for now until you hear otherwise. Okay, let's go to Washington now. Another eight game team over these next three weeks and only two times next week. So I'm definitely not be recommending to add this guy but i just gotta say it's cool to see marcus johansson back with the caps after he got dealt back to his first team at the deadline from seattle it's been quite a ride for marjo right like he was a good player in fantasy you know he was like a producing player that we thought of as like someone that i'd be interested in if he went into free agency in my leagues uh back when he was on washington he had 58 points with the caps in 2016 17 then he got traded to new jersey and boston buffalo minnesota seattle and now and now he's kind of like a joke, right? Like, no one. He, like I see him in free agency in my dynasty league where everyone is rostered. And it's like, I don't want this guy. Of now that he's back on Washington, I'm not saying I'm expecting him to go back to what he was when he was on the cast, but it's cool to see. And hey, he was playing on the top line with Kuznetsov and Ovi in the last game. That said, you know, like I said, Washington only plays two games next week and the lines can change. But I'm curious to know, like, do you think there's any chance that he has it in him to reclaim whatever magic he had back in his glory days playing with the same guy same guy on the other wing and novi
0: keep in mind that marcus johansson's glory days were 55 points give or take it's not chopped liver but the give or take actually was could go as low as 45 points and johansson was also largely dependent on top power play production one year he had 20 power play points and only 44 points total On the season, so like nothing at five on five, and that year he spent the majority of his five on five time with Backstrom and Ovechkin. So Marcus Johansson has never been, uh, you know, easy money. He's always been someone who would produce on the top power play, but rarely at five on five with any kind of regularity regardless of his line mates whether he was with Baxter Ovechkin or on the second line so I'm really uh I gotta say I'm not that interested in Johansson I know you're reaching here but I'm not that interested unless he's on the top power play which I don't think he will be so I'm gonna pass on him for now but I think he is worth watch listing uh, you know, this two game week for Washington is definitely no good. And there aren't any great weeks ahead. But if you're looking for a single game stream, depending on how deep your league is, if he's playing up on that line with Ovechkin, then yeah, he's worth considering just for that exposure, similar to Tadanov. but I would prefer Tadanov.
1: Yeah. Brian, to be clear, I need to come up with one player to discuss that I find at least somewhat interesting on each team. He's not even on my watch list anywhere. I hope you're aware. Like, So I don't want you to think that I was like trying to push you to agree with me that we should be interested in Marcus Johansson. I'm not. He'll have to do something before Phew. I'm interested. <laughs>
0: okay. We can keep the podcast together. We don't have to disband after, after me taking your take too seriously.
1: Okay. Let's go now to teams that play nine times over the next three weeks. So much better than eight. At least you're averaging the typical three game's Per week, and let's start in Chicago, who actually starts pretty good. They're going to play four times next week, so you're going to want to get your Hawks then. And there's a couple interesting ones I'm going to bring up. Then two times the week after, which is a bummer for myself and my keeper league, where I'm going to be riding on Patrick Kane, and I'm going to hope that he can do a lot in those two games. If I if I'm you know lucky enough to make it to the semis, and then three games in the last week, so four, two, three for Chicago over these next three weeks. And there's a couple guys that are available in most leagues that are starting to do stuff, starting with Jonathan Taves. How about that huge game for Taves? Taves versus Vegas on Saturday. He scored a goal, had an assist, five shots. Don't look now. Taves has eight points in his last nine games. That's the kind of thing that used to be a standard thing after nine games for Jonathan Taves. And now it seems like a huge surprise after this big, disappointing season. But who knows? Maybe he's finally reclaimed. Like, you're going to tell us, Brian, if this is sustainable or fleeting, if he's actually gotten back. And, like, there's no way that I'm going to say that I think he's, like, better now than, like, a Dylan Strome. Like, Dylan Strome has been, like, the amazing ad for the second half of the season for anyone who was lucky enough to get him like he's crushing it with Patrick Kane but you know if you have Jonathan Taves out there and let's say another hawk in Taylor Radish who's been getting top power play time actually over Taves and has four points in five games with Chicago I'm curious to know who you would take if you want a Chicago player for their four games next week between Jonathan Taves and the newly surgeon we've got the resurgent Taves and the new surgeon Radish who do you like
0: First time surge or yeah, Taylor Radish. Well, Jonathan Taves had five shots on Saturday. That was the second highest total of the season. The guy's only even reached four shots three times this season. So that was a, a rarity for Jonathan Taves to take that many shots on goal. It's nice to see. Uh I, I I don't know that it's gonna last. One of the reasons is that Jonathan Taves is playing markedly less uh, than past seasons, he's playing uh, 17 and a half minutes on average this year, compared to 20, 21 minutes a night in recent years. So I, I don't think Taves is back to himself since missing all of last year with post COVID or or uh, elongated COVID. I'm not sure what the what the actual uh, term would be. So I, I'm worried that Taves is still not back there now. But at least he has reentered the streaming conversation. But he's still on the second line second power play so beware of that meanwhile you have Taylor Radish fourth liner to top sixer in minutes with his trade from Tampa to Chicago and he's using those extra minutes now that he's in the top six to average a few shots per night which he just didn't have the opportunity to do before you pair that with four hits a night and top power play time where uh, Radish has put up two power play points in his last four and yeah, I'm interested. I think I'd actually prefer Radish as someone I have more confidence in to fill some categories over Taves. In a points only league, I think it's maybe closer to a push between Radish and Taves, but in leagues with perifs where you're going to get, uh, where you're going to get value for Radish's hits and shots, I'll take Radish yeah plus for me the tiebreaker
1: is always top power play I actually had the choice uh for in the league that I'm in with you Brian our keeper league I John and I decided he's my co-manager we decided to go and stream in a Chicago player we were deciding between Taves and Radish and we went with Radish because for me I just like the top power play you know me I'm a simple guy I like my shots I like my top power play and if I could get players who do both that's good And yeah Taves's shots like five shots in the last game were very appealing but like you said that doesn't happen too often I'll need to see him do that a few more times before I can start to buy in but it's nice to see I'm also just happy like because Jonathan Tates has obviously had this legendary career and it would be a shame if it ended in such a like disappointing way uh, let's go now to Colorado another nine-game team and just a typical you got your 3-3-3 so you're not gonna hate having any of these Colorado players but you're also not gonna love it you're well you might love it because of all the points they'll give you because there's a lot of players who are known to do that hopefully by the way everyone listened when we said a couple weeks ago to grab Nechushkin after the Landeskog injury I think we said pause the pod we were like obviously you get him he's been on the top line he's been on the top power play just insane right six points his last five games. I'm not even surprised. Four of those points on the power play. Colorado's playing today. They're currently beating Minnesota 2-1. to one. Nichushkin, no points, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if one comes by the end of the game. So if he's still available, definitely go get him. I don't care about the three games over these next two weeks. But I want to do a cold streak with you here, Brian, especially for a team that isn't playing that that much. What happened to Taves? All of a sudden, his insane career year has like crashed to earth. It crashed to a complete halt. He had 45 points in his first 47 games this year. Almost point game for Devon and now he has only one assist in his last seven games going into today and I do see he has an assist today so just by writing this down last night hopefully I reversed the jinx on Devon but yeah have you noticed anything significant that's changed for him over these last seven games going into today or is this just like a cold spell and he remains like just as good as he was before just sometimes it happens that you don't get the bounces for whatever reason
0: I think Okay, well, just as good as he was before is like a near point for game player. And I don't think Devin Taves is that good. Uh, I think two things have happened over the last little while that have led Devin Taves to sort of come back to earth. And the first is that his power play production has slowed. Devin Taves was pacing for 18 power play points uh, through about half of the season. Uh, from the second unit, so eighteen power, he had nine points in half the season, times two for the other half, 18 power play points. Uh, from the second unit, I'd expect a 10 to 12 power play point pace. So that's uh, one reason why I think Devin Taves has come back to earth, is because that those those extra gravy points on the power play have slowed. And the other reason why Devin Taves was due to come back down to earth is that he scored 12 times on 111 shots. That's an 11% shooting percentage for a defenseman. Basically unheard of. Uh, Devin Taves was pacing for 24 goals, just one less than Brock Besser. And that wasn't going to happen. Uh, you aggressed both the power play numbers and the shooting percentage numbers. And Devin Taves is back in the 50-55 point range, which is where I expect him to be from here on out. Still fantastic numbers, by the way. Not taking anything away from Devin Taves being a 50-55 point player. That's awesome. And he's worth holding through a cold streak, uh, hoping that those points come back. It's nice that he's already corrected some of this, because I was going to throw one curiosity out there. Just one theory, if he didn't bounce back, is that he's playing heavy minutes lately. He's played 27 minutes uh, in four straight games going into today's game, which I, I haven't checked the minutes uh, counts on but he's averaged about 25 minutes a night on this season some heavy games very few light games usually he's between 23 and 25 minutes a night so playing an extra two to four minutes a night maybe that load was starting to wear on what he could do to create offense This is one possible explanation when I think the maybe the most likely one is just that Devin Taze was having your run-of-the-mill cold streak but if you want uh, a slightly spicier take than that then there it is
1: right well usually we want the players playing more minutes but i guess yeah you can get run into the ground eventually we are human beings after all or at least you and i are i don't know if devon Taves is but it seems like he might be uh but yeah i i by the way when i said like oh is he going to go back to what he was doing like what he was like before i meant more just like in terms of the probability of getting a point in a given game like should we now like downgrade our expectations because like i wasn't expecting to be point per game even when he was point per game you know going into every game maybe i would have in my head been like i think there's like a three-fifths chance that he'll get a point or whatever you know whatever that math worked out to be and i don't. I haven't changed my mind, basically. But yeah, he was obviously overperforming for a little bit, but I think there's a really good chance that he's still a you know 50, 60-point defenseman for the rest of the way. So uh, yeah, he's been just obviously this like, great player, and maybe if you got lucky and someone dropped him because they were too upset with his cold streak, it sounds like Brian is saying to jump back on, and today is already an indication, because not only does he have an assist on the Kadri goal, he also has five shots so far, and we're only like halfway through the game, so that's pretty amazing. Let's go to the final nine-game team over the next... Uh, Three weeks. And that's the New Jersey Devils. Brian, I remember a few shows ago we were talking about Jack Hughes. I was drooling over him as per usual. You said something about like, and, and a bunch of people agreed with you about like Jason Robertson being someone you would draft ahead of him. I don't know, this point, like, I feel just as steadfast about, I think, that Jack Hughes is, like, an amazing superstar, that I just keep expecting that him to go higher and higher in drafts next year. I wonder if he's a, a first-rounder now. Like, his one goal, one assist versus Washington yesterday, brought him to 25 points in his last 18 games. Now I'm seeing that New Jersey's in the middle of a game right now against Montreal. He's scored twice in this game so far. Just every game, Jack Hughes gets multiple points, often goals. So if you're in a league like the Cup where you get more points for goals. This guy, is just insane so I don't have a question for you but I'm just like throwing out there that if people are curious if I'm still as high on Jack Hughes I'm even higher okay Uh, then of course you've got Bratton Heeshear, who are super hot like they're clearly top contenders for fantasy free agent pickups of the year for anyone who added them they were available in a lot of leagues at one point obviously not for a long time uh, and even here, some good news for Dougie Hamilton managers. He's been playing on the top power play in the last three games. I noticed that New Jersey has switched to a three forwards, two defense. And they didn't bump Severson, but they just bumped someone else to get Hamilton up there. It's basically, basically been Brat, He, Sheer, and Hughes with Hamilton and Severson. The bad news, though, is that Hamilton now stopped shooting. Like, I don't know, this guy is so frustrating, right? Uh, Even getting the power play, but now he hasn't taken more than two shots in his last four games going into today, when like the one good thing about Dougie Hamilton is at least he takes a decent number of shots. Uh, So overall, if I ask you what to expect from Dougie over these next nine games... Are you going to give the poor Hamilton managers out there words of encouragement, expecting things to get better now that, hey, he's getting some more power play time? Or is is there just more reasons that you're going to share to regret why we picked this guy in the second round in drafts like I did?
0: Elon, I'm sorry, I have no more good news about Dougie Hamilton than I did last time. We spoke about him, which is when I said it's a bummer that he's not getting that top power play deployment at the time. Now he's got it, but he's still not shooting, which is one of the reasons that you draft Dougie Hamilton in those first two rounds, as you did. Uh, And one thing that is has been bad news for Dougie Hamilton came on trade deadline day when Damon Severson did not get dealt. (laughs) Like opening that spot wide open for Hamilton to come in and quarterback the power play. So top power play is good news for Hamilton, but it's still just not looking great that he's not able to do what he... Used to, and I don't think that's injuries. Like I, I feel like there's nothing else at play aside from the power play setup has changed, where it's not him allowed to bomb away nonstop on the top unit. And I wonder what this means for him next year. Like I could see him bouncing back completely and getting back almost all the value that he's lost over the last little while. But I guess the Devils are like, well, what we're doing is working out well enough for us, and uh, it would be nice to see Dougie unleash. There's nothing you can do but wait.
1: Yeah, and actually to make matters even worse, I'm looking at this game today New Jersey against Montreal and it's back to Hamilton with no power play time. So uh, it looks like Steverson got the whole top power play for New Jersey and along with Bastion. Nathan Bastion is getting more power play time than Dougie Hamilton. So let that sink in for you. Okay, uh, Brian, we've still got a bunch now of 10 gamers coming up and then a few 11 and 12 gamers to finish off the show. But first, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. Alright, we are back. We are through the teams that are playing only eight or nine times over the next three weeks. Most of our fantasy playoffs. Now we're getting into teams that are pretty good. And most of the teams in the league play ten times. So like four, three, and three in some combination over these next three weeks. And we're going to drop a tidbit about each team. And we're, let's start in Anaheim, which is a super boring team right now. Ryan Getzlaff is back. But at this point, I feel like who cares? He slowed down big time since his hot start. He had no points and only one shot versus versus San Jose in his return yesterday honestly even with four games I feel like there might be nobody worth grabbing aside from like Zegris and Terry who are probably rostered in most leagues like maybe you think you want the guy who's been playing with Zegris and Terry like in the last game I I challenge the listeners to guess like who it was playing with Zegris and Terry in the last game I feel like maybe one percent of you are going to get this correct but it's uh someone named Derek Grant so there you go you could share that at dinner parties uh, but yeah, like Henrique, Milano, silverberg they all missed the last game with injury. Raquel and Hampus Lindholm are like off to greener pastures. This team just looks super shallow. I feel really bad uh, for John Gibson, who's already having a tough year. And I think the end of the season is just going to get even tougher. He was just dropped in my cupful division, where I'm rostering Kemper and Huso. I, like at first I thought, okay, I've been wanting a goalie all year. I finally got Husso to, to pair up with Kemper, and now I'm seeing John Gibson dropped, and my first instinct was finally I could get Gibson for the playoffs. This is gonna be great. Then I took a look and I was like, I don't know, I think I'm just gonna leave him alone. So Brian, but like, do you think I'm making the right choice here? Like it's just like Anaheim looks even worse than they were before. What chance does John Gibson have to turn the season around?
0: I don't know, uh, but the way he's playing, it's hard to have faith in John Gibson doing much of anything. Since the All-Star break, John Gibson has made 14 appearances. Uh, Just twice has he posted a save percentage above 900. means 12 of 14 appearances, he's been below 900 save percentage. He's rocking an 857 since February 11th. Things are not good for John Gibson. And now that Josh Manson is gone and Hambo's Lindholm is gone, Honestly, that could be good or bad. Like, if I were a real glass-half-full guy about John Gibson, I'd be saying, well, that's great. More action, he'll be busier. He had some of his best years on on some Ducks teams that were really hanging him out to dry. Uh, but I just really have lost all confidence in John Gibson. I feel like he's lost confidence in himself. Uh, he'll be a really interesting guy to talk about on the Beat Writers series, except we can never... Okay, if you know how to contact somebody who who is a, a beat writer or a very close follower of the Anaheim Ducks, please let us know. Year after year, we have failed to get a response from any Anaheim Ducks. They don't even say no thanks. They just, they just I think ghost we have,
1: us. I think we have someone new this year. I've been, if you go to GameDayTweets.com. Oh no, I was talking about Allison Lozoff. If you go to gamedaytweets.com and go to Anaheim, that's where you can go and see the line combination tweets from every team. And I'm seeing that we did a lot of Allison Lozoff retweets this year, and that's not someone I think we've ever reached out to before. So I'm excited to try her out and see if we'll finally (laughs) get one.
0: That would be great. It would be good to have a little bit of an inside view on what in the world has happened to John Gibson these last few years, where we've seen some some small slices of what he used to do, but largely uh, he's been nowhere near his formerly elite form. So, Elon, you're asking if John Gibson should be plucked out of free agency. I think he's as risky as any other free agent goalie you could get. Uh, he might have some of the best upside, but really goalies are so random, it doesn't really matter. So he's just been downgraded to someone you can't rely on, which is really unfortunate.
1: Yeah, maybe he's like a Sam Montembeau type back before Jake Allen came back. Like every once in a while he'll have a good game, but always a risk to play. And that's how I kind of feel about Gibson right now, which is a bummer. But yeah, he'll need to show us a stretch. And I just really don't see it happening, especially on this team. Uh, Next, another team that plays 10 times over these next three weeks, starting with four times next week, are the Arizona Coyotes. And I'll be honest, I wasn't expecting Arizona to have pretty much the same team before and after the deadline. But I look at the top six from Friday. I see Keller, Schmaltz, Galchenyuk were one line. Kessel, Kraus, and Boyd, another line. gosses is still quarterbacking the top power play. Uh, you know, Chikrin is still in the IR, but on the team. Vemelka still in the net. I guess the biggest change was they sent Scott Wedgwood to Dallas. And then they decided to just, uh, I don't know, make life hard for the Maple Leafs by claiming Harry Soteri after the Leafs tried to sign him. And right now Sateri has visa issues. So to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if Carol Vemalka gets all four games next week. I think the other option is Koronash or Kajanash, however that's pronounced. But I I just have a, I'm pretty sure it's Kajanash, but I don't think it matters because I would be surprised if he gets into a game. Uh, And next week, Arizona plays Edmonton, San Jose, Anaheim, and Chicago. So some tough opponents, some maybe nice ones. So I'm pretty into Carl Vajmalka or Vajmalka for the rest of the season. Sorry, I'm having so much uh, trouble pronouncing all these complicated names here on the Coyotes. But yeah, I feel like Vajmalka could be kind of like a cheat code, especially in categories leagues that count saves. You're going to get four games out of a goalie that's had many 40 plus save games on the season. That's something you want to look at. He's only 13% rostered. If I was Dave Benton, I haven't listened to this week's stream scheme yet. It's posted, but I'd imagine that Dave should make Vemelka the goalie stream of the week because he's only 13% rostered on Yahoo. So he definitely qualifies. Uh, He also just signed a three-year deal. So Brian, maybe along with commenting on if you think Vemelka is good for the rest of this season, I'm curious if you think we've seen enough from him to expect him to be the real deal moving forward. Like, would it be crazy to draft him? Let's say you're going to draft next year. You're looking at Vemelka and John Gibson. To me right now, Vemelka seems like the better bet.
0: Vemelka, I, I don't know if I could say better bet, especially because, well, Anaheim is now in the retool on the rebuild. Uh, so I th- I feel like Anaheim is going to be in better shape than Arizona, though they have a couple big pieces missing on their blue line. So team quality, I think, might still go to Gibson next year. But Vemelka is, I mean, either he has risen, I think a combination of Vemelka has risen and Gibson has fallen to the point that they are, Discussable on the same sort of platform. Uh on the season, Vemelka is playing below his expected save percentage, but over the last month, he's playing above it. So there is potential here. Now that Vemelka is showing, he's playing his best hockey of the season right now. You're asking if I've seen enough to know if he's the real deal. Uh I, I don't know, but I'm interested. I'm not writing him off. He a 904. Uh, on the season this year just a 47 percent quality start percentage and he's been sub 906 of his last 11 starts even while playing near or above his expected save percentage numbers so go figure that one out but the is not mr reliable right but he is someone that i want to see more from my guess right now if i had if i had to make a guess which is pointless because we're talking about goalies but i feel like his future holds more of the same kinds of ups and downs uh, that we've seen from him for all of this year but maybe a few more up and a few fewer downs. Uh, he's still just 25 years old, so I'll hold up hope that there is some room for VML to grow, but I do subscribe to the goalies don't improve theory. It's really rare, and we've talked about this on the show, that a goalie changes substantially from their first body of NHL work for the better. They, they can get worse but they rarely you know try and think right now of a player i mean you know you'll think of cam talbot maybe and martin jones some of these backups who exploded onto the scene when they got big opportunities but try and think of a goalie who started off like being meh and lasted long enough in the league to actually come up tweeted us at keeping carlson if you have any you can ask me okay darcy kemper
1: Oh yeah, he's one. What about Scott Wedgwood? All of a sudden, this year is having a good <laughs> yeah. year when he's been a nobody forever.
0: Yeah, well, we'll get to him too. I mean, I don't think he's necessarily shown enough to to have been improved. But I'll, I'll save more about him for for when we do Everyone touch. A Dallas. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, so anyway, Vemelka um, ahead of Gibson. Honestly, my, my answer to this question might depend on who the backups are for each of them and who's going to get more starts. Like, I think Anthony Stoltois is actually pretty good, and I think he could push John Gibson if the Ducks let him. Um, anyway, I see them on similar footing at this point, especially in leagues where volume is rewarded as much rate. So, Elon, I love that you're already looking at Velma- Vemelka for next season, and I think you'd be right to have him on your radar.
1: Okay, but you agree with me that for this year, Veymelka over Gibson at this point, right? You're talking just yes. for next year, maybe? it's close. Okay, yeah. And by the way, uh, right now, it's one nothing for Winnipeg over Arizona, just starting the third period today, and Veymelka has stopped 24 of 25. So we'll see if he can hold out or if things blow up at the end. But yeah, good game for him potentially again today. Okay, another 10-game team is the Edmonton Oilers. They play four times next week. It's a streamagami, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, and then three times in the following two weeks. Uh, we did a lot of talking about pooley or Yamamoto like who's gonna be on the top power play like once Ryan Eugene Hopkins comes back we were like oh there's only gonna be room for one of those guys Pugliarvi or Yamamoto maybe Yamamoto gets bumped anyways of course with all of this discussion the Oilers had to shake things up and they gave Zach Hyman the spot instead of both of Pugliarvi or Yamamoto in the game on Saturday and Zach Hyman had a power play assist in that crazy game versus Calgary, where the Flames destroyed Edmonton nine to five. Anyways, one thing I'm very happy about from the show I did with Ben last Thursday, which by the way I had so much fun on. One thing we discussed on that last show on Thursday was Ben was asking if I'd prefer Ryan Nugent Hopkins or one of these like Yamamoto or, or Pulleyarvi. You know, considering those were the guys that were getting better deployment, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins was sli- slotted to only come back on the third line. I'm happy. I said Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I said I know maybe boring, but he's just like the reliable player. What a game on Saturday! A goal and three assists. Three shots uh, plus the Oilers, again, have the streamigami next week. So I'm sure people who have Ryan Nugent Hopkins on their team are very happy to have him back in their lineup. And I'd imagine you'd also be still interested in your Pooley Arvies, your Yamamotos, and let me even throw a new name at you. How about Derek Brassard, who is available all over the place? He scored in his first two games as an Oiler, playing with Nugent Hopkins on that third line. He had a goal and four shots versus Calgary. He was also on a nice run with Philly. He had four points in his final six games before he got traded. So, Brian, we've talked about Jonathan Taze, Dodonov, Taylor Raddett does Derek Brassard like cut into that group of players is he in that caliber or is he like a step below
0: I think he's a step below uh, Broussard going into today two goals on six shots and it only played 23 minutes in both games combined Broussard had played 13 and a half minutes in his first game in Edmonton and then less than 10 minutes in his second game at Edmonton and he's playing on this weird line right there's no McDavid or Dreisadl as you mentioned Elon he's with Ryan Nugent Hopkins whose line is I don't know if there's a better way to put this than saying Nugent Hopkins line is a bit of a dumping ground right now it's Broussard and Poole Yarvey both who have some kind of potential, but both who I expect to be pretty quiet alongside Ryan Nugent Hopkins. And I, I don't quite see the full set of logic around it, but I also don't know where else to put them. And I feel like that's why I'm calling it a dumping ground, not as a, a negative uh, way to talk about Nugent Hopkins and Paul Yarvey. But I don't think Broussard is a is a real legitimate part of a line that can score a lot. And I don't think Broussard is a guy I expect to really be, uh, be a big score. So I would put Broussard at the bottom of that pile that you mentioned.
1: All right, fair enough. Though for people in deep enough leagues, like I said, Edmonton plays four times next week. I think Broussard is in a, a decent enough spot to at least get you a couple points in those four games. You can compare him to the other options. Let's go now to the Florida Panthers who play 10 times in the next three weeks. Also four times next week. I mean, how many shows in a row can I drool over this team? Like, And now Claude Giroux fitting in like a glove. Two assists Saturday versus Ottawa in the 4-3 overtime win. Uh, I think they're playing again today. I wouldn't be surprised. Okay, so Toronto is beating Florida currently 3-2. to No points for Giroux yet. What do we got here? Uh, Brandon Montour... And Ryan Lomberg, all right, these are boring goals. Anyway, uh, the Panthers are great. Uh, Duclair, we were worried about Duclair potentially getting bumped from the top power play, but they've been going with this five forward configuration and he actually had a power play goal in Saturday's game, so you're not really worried about him. Really, the two cold names that are likely on a lot of rosters and people are wondering if they're going to stick for the rest of the year are Cardiff or who has only two points in his last six games going into today, and Sam Bennett, who had one point in only eight games going into today, but I see he has an assist today for whatever it's worth Brian if you had to pick right now who's gonna get more points for the rest of the season between Verhage and Sam Bennett
0: I'm gonna lean Carter Verhage I think he might have like the better floor and Bennett the higher ceiling but if you're asking me to pick what you are I'll take Verhage I've just kind of lost faith in Sam Bennett a huge drop for Bennett by the way from this time last year when he had just been traded to Florida and was getting fired up to now it's also been a huge drop for Bennett from like three months ago to now so congrats to anyone who managed to sell high uh, especially in a keeper which I failed to do in one of my leagues but I tried uh, you know Bennett could for sure be highly effective and impactful the rest of the year but the road schedule just doesn't favor him as we talked about on the last uh over the last couple of weeks and it's concerning that he's not putting up numbers with Huberdeau and Duclair and now it's like well was Calgary right about Sam Bennett after all? Has has Florida just been carrying this guy on their backs? So we'll see what Bennett can do. And it would be nice if he dispelled some of those notions, those negative notions that we have about him. But I feel like Carter Verhage is the safer pick and is likely to do at least as well as Bennett will the rest of the way.
1: Yeah, and you gotta say, they both have great line mates, right? Bennett's playing with DeClaire and Huberdo, but Verhage's playing with Barkov and Giroux, two players who have been like 100 plus point guys. So if you're just looking at the line mates, maybe Verhage has the slight edge there. Uh, This team, they're good. They're losing to Toronto right now, though. Uh, So we'll see how this game plays out. Uh, Let's go to LA next, where they play four times next week and then three and three in the following two weeks. Victor Arvidsson is back, which seems to be great news for everyone, like, on and off his line. Like, if you recall, Ajay Kopitar was cold, but he's going again. He's got five points in his last three games. I wonder if this is one of those things where when you have a strong second line, then the opposition doesn't focus so much on the top. And I know but we were just kind of also saying that Kopitar was just cold because he was just, like, whatever, not having his many Shots going on so as if he was playing any worse. So, but either way, seems to be working out for Kopitar that Arvidsson's back, even though they don't play together at even strength. And I think that he's obviously someone that I'm hoping that people listen to what we were saying and held on to him through the cold streak. Uh, Kopi's linemates, Campaign Ayafalo, both starting to produce again as well. They both assisted on Kopitar's goal yesterday. And then the Dano Arvidsson Moore line are back together and looking great together again, both picking up lots of points. So, is it fair to say all six? of these guys make for a great stream, at least for that Monday, Wednesday, Thursday start to the week. There's actually only two teams that play three times in the first four days next week, Carolina and LA. So if you really want to optimize that schedule, you want to grab someone that plays, let's say three times in four days, then you swap for someone playing like Friday, Saturday, and you can swap for someone playing Sunday. And you've got like potentially six games that week from one roster spot. So that's what makes me especially interested in LA. Like I said, we've got six top sixers that are all getting some points lately with Kopitar, Uh, Campe and follow, and then Deneau Arvidsson-Moore. What do you think? How into these uh, various Kings are you?
0: I'm into all of them. As you said, I think the whole Kings top six is worth taking a shot on. There have been some really cold players in it. Uh, You know, anybody who's suffered through uh, the, cold, the cold stretch of Adrian Kempe, especially. Uh, if you made it this far, congratulations. You deserve to be rewarded. But Aya Follow had also been cold, and Trevor Moore had been cold. But all of these guys have the potential to put up a point every single night, and I would be happy to stream them for a four-game week.
1: Yeah, and also Sean Dursey. We mentioned him last week already. We said that he's the top power play guy that you should be interested in. Power play goal yesterday versus Seattle. So again, if you're looking for someone to add for these next four days... I really think you should be looking at Sean Dursey if you need a defenseman because, yeah, he's got that top power play spot locked in and he's even doing something with it. Alright, next let's go to the New York Rangers. They also play 10 times over the next three weeks, starting with four games next week. And we've got two brand new players in the top six taking over those two third real spots. Uh, Vitrano has been playing with Zibanejad and Kreider, while Andrew Kopp has been playing with Panarin and Strom. So too bad for Alexis Lafreniere and Dryden Hunt. Uh, I guess maybe better luck next year, especially for Lafreniere. Hopefully he'll get a shot in the top six again and not do nothing uh but yeah in the 5-1 win over pittsburgh for the rangers on friday both vetrano and andrew kopp scored a goal and then today the rangers had a win over the buffalo sabers they won 5-4 in overtime and let's take a look here frank vetrano two goals Beautiful. Andrew Kopp, two assists. Look at that. I guess Kopp was probably assisting on goals from Panarin, I'm going to guess. Let me just confirm that. Oh, okay. Andre Miller scored the overtime winner from Lafreniere and Kopp, actually. And then Kopp all assisted, yeah, on a Panarin goal. So yeah, these are two good lines to be on. I guess we were just talking before about Verhagi and Bennett playing with good linemates. Definitely, you look at Vitrano and Kopp, and they're also playing with very, very good linemates. And they're already doing more than like Alexis Lafreniere. I don't want. To, I don't want to you know, pile on Lafreniere, but it's like, come on! All of a sudden, what Frank Fetrano comes in and now he's like just crushing it with Zabana Banachad and Kreider can't just be luck, right? So I'm very interested, especially for a four game week next week. Both of these guys are interesting to me. What do you think, Brian? Is there one that's more so than the other? And either way, do you concur that they should probably be rostered for a four game week?
0: I wouldn't have been that interested in Vitrano before today. Uh, yeah, he had a couple goals, but in three games on five shots, which, you know, th- two goals on five shots in three games. It's not a, that's not a lovely line. That's a nice streamer line, which is basically what we said Vitrano can be. But now he has another two goals on three shots tonight, which is nice. And he actually played over 18 minutes. Compared to the game before, we'd played 13 and a half. So actually, he erased a bunch of my concerns about him with today's performance. So I'm a little more into Vitrano than I was uh, before today's game. Which is to say, if anybody's moving the needle that much in one game, then they're still probably streamer territory. But playing in the Rangers' top six does make him interesting. And then you have Andrew Kopp who, as you said, Elon picked up those two assists today, and his ice time keeps rising with the Rangers. He played 19 minutes today after starting with 17 minutes and then 18 minutes. So he's going in a nice linear upwards trajectory. Um, He's got a few, like now, what is it, five points in three games and putting up uh, not many shots, which isn't great. I think both of them, you know, I'm not running for these guys. I, they might be the sort that I wait until Friday to get for those two off day games towards the end of the week in New York, Friday and Sunday. And I think I'd actually go get cop first, but it's probably a push between them. Vitrano seems more likely to put up a few shots and cop seems more likely to, uh, like take face offs and put up other peripherals like a hit or a block. Uh, that's, uh, neither one, you know, I'm not going to boot someone out of my Tuesday or Thursday lineups for them, but I would like to look at them for, for an off day game.
1: Sure, yeah, if you have the option. I have a feeling with the, you know, week they've just had, you might not have the option. I think you might have to grab them early or someone else is going to. So obviously, you have to consider compared to the rest of your league. I've always had a soft spot for Vitrano. I don't know what it is. I guess he just had like some big shot numbers in Florida, like over the years, at least once in a while. So now seeing him with Sabanajet, I'm just like really excited to see what he can do there. So he's someone I'm a little more interested in, but I think that might be a little bit of heart there, like battling with head just because I've kind of liked him for so long and it's cool to finally see him in a good spot. Uh, let's go now out of Seattle, who also again 10 games the next three weeks, four, three, and three. The last team we're gonna talk about that goes four, three, three over the next three weeks in terms of their games played. We've said a million times that sometimes at the trade deadline, the players who get the biggest bumps are not the players who got traded, but more so the players who like took over the roles from the players who got moved. And that seems to be the case here in Seattle with Vince Dunn putting up a five-game point streak before finally going cold versus LA on Saturday. He's now the top power play guy. We already talked about him on a recent show, but I feel like if you need D, we talked about Sean Dursey. I might like Sean Dersey more just because, I don't know. But whatever, but like some leagues, you don't have access to top power play guys very often. So I'm always going to shout out a low percent rostered top power play guy especially one that's producing. And Vince Dunn meets that criteria. So there he is. And like I said, Seattle plays four times next week. So definitely someone that should be at the top of people's watch list, if not on their rosters.
0: For sure. Dunn is on a big roll. Uh, It started before Mark Mm -hmm. Giordano left town and has continued since then, bolstered by two power play points that he picked up over a stretch of three games while on the top unit. And Vince Dunn saw more than 25 minutes a couple games ago, and a 73% share of Seattle's power play time, both of which are essentially high watermarks for the season for Vince Dunn. Uh, As you said, Elon, his five-game point streak was snapped against LA, and it was nearly a cardio night for him posting zeros across the board except for one block and one hit. Despite seeing 22 and a half minutes and 60% of the team's power play minutes, I think Dunn will continue to be a frustrating guy to have, but perhaps there's a bit better of a chance that he's going to pay off than usual. So yeah, I would jump on Vince Dunn for the big week. I would also still feel kind of fickle if he doesn't produce or like take any shots over the first couple games, which is perfectly possible. But I hope... That's not what's going to happen. I think I hope that you'll add Vince Dunn and he'll help you out. And I think he's a guy, unlike where I was on Vitrano and Cop, which is like, well, yeah, I don't think you need to run to those guys. I would go ahead and get Dunn to start the week. And then, yeah, you could drop him if it goes south, but I'd want him from the outset.
1: Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I think I will just not as strongly agree with you as I normally do, just because Seattle's just like, I don't know I don't have a lot of faith in them to score goals or that's why I said I like Jersey more than done just because I'd rather have the top power play guy on a team that actually scores goals and like Seattle now have just you know traded away some good players I think that Jaden Schwartz is injured so you know at some point I, I get a little worried that they're just not going to score much kind of like Anaheim for the rest of the way but Vince Dunn is going to probably be in on most power play goals so there's something there but I don't know I still will take those New York guys ahead yeah
0: I, I mean we talked about last week that Seattle just does not have a very good power play so being power play quarterback in seattle might not actually amount to much i was just uh, buoyed by seeing him put up two power play points in three games and thinking maybe maybe he can help
1: i wonder if our listeners could name like all the top six players like i don't know like this team is like uh, all of a sudden looking really shallow right i see that carson coolman was playing with Yanni gourd and victor victor rask is on seattle did anyone know this I guess he got traded there from Minnesota. <laughs> okay, good for him. Wenberg. Oh, yeah, Wenberg. Remember when people were talking at the beginning he's of the year? He's been good. Yeah, he's been okay. Yeah. And Ryan Donato. I remember at the beginning of the year, a lot of people had high hopes because we were thinking that maybe Seattle will be the next Vegas and all the players who used to be kind of nobodies that we'd heard of and never did much. Yeah. And I remember like a lot of people were talking about these guys. It hasn't really p- turned out that well for any of them. Maybe like Jared McCann is having a pretty decent year.
0: Wenberg, but, by the way, yeah. five points in his last eight. Uh, but okay. he's taken no shots in his last two games, which is which is pretty much classic Alex Weinberg.
1: He's like a Marcus Johansson to me. Like, it's almost like even when I see yeah. he's gotten points, I still don't care. <laughs> I'm yeah, not interested. I agree. Yeah. All right, Boston plays 10 times, only three times next week, then four, then three. They are so good, this team. They've really turned it up lately. Their 6-3 win over the Islanders was their seventh win in eight games. Everyone is hot. Pasternak, Hall, Marshon, McAvoy, Bergeron was injured, but he came back, had an assist and four shots in his return on Saturday versus the Islanders. So hopefully he'll be, you know, ready to go for the rest of the season aside from being benched for a couple, you know, games before the playoffs like he always does. I'm going to throw two guys at you right now that are still available in free agency in a lot of leagues and are screaming as potential ads. I'm curious to know who you like better. It's a little bit of apples and oranges here because I'm going to compare a forward to a defensive. I just want to get a vibe check of who you're more excited about. Eric Howla has been playing... with Hall and Pasternak. He's had three straight multi-point games now uh, from his line with those two great players. And yeah, by the way, Taylor Hall, I I mean, we're just not gonna get into him because I assume he's rostered. Like if if you're in a league where Taylor Hall is still available, you definitely want him at this point. He's doing really well. But okay, so Eric Howla. And then also I wanted to bring up Hampus Lindholm, who got traded to Boston, had a really good first game, picking up an assist and four shots. He now has an assist, six shots, seven hits in those first two games with the team. So a little bit of a quieter second game for Lindholm, but getting big minutes right away, playing on that top pairing with of boy and also on power play too do one of these names jump out to you you know because we all have options for lots of defensemen lots of forwards so you know let's say you have options from other teams you're just like i'm just getting again a vibe check haula and lindholm who do you think's more likely to be worth rostering like for the rest of the season
0: I'm going to go with Eric Haula. You know, we're digging deep here. Lindholm, by the way, is actually playing fewer minutes in Boston than he was in Anaheim, which isn't surprising. That's kind of what we predicted. You know, so I expect him to still be able to take a couple shots a game, but I, I feel like Lindholm's hits are him, you know, trying to impress his new team. I feel like that's what a player does. You know, you join a new team. You got to show them you're bought in and invested. You throw your body around, you know, block a, block an extra shot here or there. And then that sort of tapers off. And I wonder if that's what's happening with Lindholm right now. It is apples and oranges because you're getting different things from Haula and Lindholm. But for upside, I would try Eric Haula going for another run with Taylor Hall and David Pasternak. By the way, I'm actually going to divert off of Eric Haula and Hampus Lindholm because neither one is exciting. I don't know that we've talked enough about Taylor Hall and how freaking good he's been. Like he is producing like a star again, 38 points in 43 games since December 9th. So for most of the season now, Taylor Hall is producing at a 75-point pace and also tracking for about three shots per game. So that's almost 250 shots uh, and 75 points over an 82-game season. I I was thinking it's going to be interesting to dig into Taylor Hall next season because he was a drop at one point this season, and now he's Nearly a point per game player, but I actually don't think there's a whole lot to dig into because basically Hall's run coincides exactly at the moment that he began playing with Pasternak and Haula instead of playing with some mix of Charlie Coyle, Craig Smith, and Nick Foligno, which isn't surprising. I mean, I would have liked him to carry a line by himself, but this is working, and I think Boston might keep letting it run. Of course, depending on Bergeron's health and what his future looks like, that could throw a wrench into some of this, but Taylor Hall. Holy cow, if you were able to pick him up out of free agency by anyone who had given up on him, you scored finding some free money in free agency
1: yeah I definitely had the opportunity to get him in a couple of leagues and kicking myself big time you know it's been like years and they every once in a while would bring Pasternak to that second line and it would never last I think when it happened this year we were like eh, it probably won't last and it has and it's like like I just said they've been winning like seven of the last eight games it's clearly working out just fine Bergeron was injured that didn't change anything so yeah I guess uh, this might be something that's going to stick and it'll be interesting over the summer to discuss if we think it'll still stick next year we'll have to get uh, Fluto Shinzawa back to discuss and get his opinion. Uh, Let's go now to the Calgary Flames who play again. We're on teams that play ten times over the next three weeks. They go three, four, then three. Uh, I'm gotta tell you i'm getting pretty excited for a potential flames and avalanche conference final i really hope it happens they seem like the two best teams in the conference especially after that shellacking that calgary put on edmonton yesterday honestly i can't really think of anyone to talk about here that we haven't talked about a lot like yeah good kachuk and lindholm continue to be like insane uh Toffoli's fitting in fantastically backlin coleman manchipani like solid supporting pieces that we've discussed a lot even chris tanev gets points now which is nice so i don't i don't know nothing's really changed i think since the last time we we talked about the Flames, so I'm just good to move on, unless you have some interesting Flames topics to bring up yourself.
0: I will uh, at least talk about how great the Flames are doing. Well, actually, first, uh, I'll mention Tyler Tofoli, who, uh, you know, was off the first line. It doesn't matter. He got two assists anyway. Only eight shots for Tofoli over his last five games, which is not what we'd like to see from him. So I, I feel like We could probably talk about Toffoli every week and it'll be a different flavor of we're really excited about him or this is disappointing. His value could just yo-yo over the rest of the season. So be ready for that roller coaster. If you have Tyler Toffoli, the good news is I think points will still keep coming more often than not. Uh, Johnny Gaudreau, we talked about how amazing he's been, uh, like you, you talked about them as conference semifinal or conference finalists. And I, I think that's legit. And we just need to like Johnny Gaudreau is looking amazing. Uh, we talked about him when we were talking about Matthew Kachuk last week. And how about Jacob Markstrom too? Speaking of, uh, you know, some of our preseason talk, Elon, I can't, oh, it was the Markstrom versus Demko conversation. That went on. And I ha- actually haven't compared their, uh, their save percentages straight up. I feel like this is one we both won, which is nice.
1: Well, I think that both of them have turned out to be goalies, which are getting more and more rare in the NHL. They play, like, <laughs> yeah. all the games. And yeah. so it's just like, if you got Markstrom or Demko, you were happy, but I think you're obviously a lot happier with Markstrom because if your league counts wins, Calgary is obviously winning a lot more games than Vancouver is.
0: Well, here's the thing. How many more wins do you think Markstrom has than Demko this year?
1: Hmm. The way you Without ask it... Looking. Yeah. yeah, it makes me think that it's maybe closer. I would have thought maybe like 10 more wins.
0: Was that not the case? Three more wins for Jacob ah. Markstrom. And uh, Demko has started just one additional game.
1: So there you go. They're both uh, both great. So Demko, when you're listening to Brian and I arguing about Demko versus Markstrom, hopefully what you took away from it was just draft both of them. And you'll be happy.
0: <laughs> yeah. We both felt very passionate about it. So maybe that was a sign. Uh, Demko has a 9.17 compared to Markstrom's 9.25. Uh, they both have similar quality start percentages. Uh, Markstrom's is a touch, uh, touch higher, about 57%. Um, and also Markstrom has been like a little eh? Lately, sub-900, six times in his last 12, but somehow he's still only lost twice in regulation, which speaks to how freaking good, come in full circle, the Calgary Flames have been this year. So way to go, Markstrom. Way to go, Gaudreau. Way to go to full... Way to go, everyone, on Calgary. Keep it up.
1: Yeah, Gaudreau is, like, probably not going to get there, but he's been sneaking into the Art Ross conversation recently. Like, he's up there in total points. As of this recording, Connor McDavid leads the race. He has 97 points. Next is Leon Draisaitl with 94 points. And third is Johnny Gaudreau with 90 points. So it's not, like, inconceivable that he can continue to make up ground. And I'm not saying I would bet on it, but I think there's definitely a chance. And, like, who would have expected Johnny Gaudreau to be a top three point getter going into this season? What what a turnaround for a guy who the coach wasn't it last year like the coach was like oh like wh- how do you feel about goudreau playing in his 500th game or whatever it was and the coach was like oh, i hope he puts more effort than he did in his 499th game <laughs> yeah. I something
0: like that. yeah so i mean this is the follow-up <laughs> season that we were expecting from 2018-19 it was just delayed by a couple years it's really nice to see and we'll dig in more but i talked about how matthew kachuk was for real last week and i feel like i wouldn't take a whole lot away from what johnny gaudreau has done this year either yeah the flames could be in the cup finals like if they go against colorado
1: i feel like the odds shouldn't be too crazily uh like favorite towards colorado i think colorado would be the favorite but i think that calgary shouldn't be too far behind at this point but
0: elon we know one of them is going to get swept for nothing in the first round so why even talk about it
1: I want to have some fun this playoffs, okay? (laughs) All right, let's go to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Not in the same caliber, uh, but they are the same in that they play 10 times over these next three weeks. Three games, then four games, and three games. The injuries are really piling up for the poor Blue Jackets. Jenner is still week to week. Then it was announced that Yunus Corpusalo would be out for the season a few days ago. And now most recently, Zach Wierenski left Saturday's game after suffering an upper body injury in the first. I don't think we have an update on Wierenski yet. But that in that game, by the way, Adam Boakfist was scratched. So Jake Bean took over the top power play duties. And he had himself actually a nice game. He scored a goal, took five shots at 24 minutes, 39 seconds of ice time. Obviously, this was a game where things were in flux because the injury happened like mid-game. But we've already talked about some new potential top power play defensemen. You know, your uh, Vince Duns and your jerseys, And I think last episode we talked about a bunch of them. There's a bunch of them right now in the league if you look around. And so maybe Jake Bean could be the next one. Obviously, you could check out the lines. But I kind of feel like even if he is, it's still not someone you're going to rush for. Because who knows how long it will last A. And also, this isn't the most you know well we saw what Boakvist did right like Bokvist didn't do much when he got that opportunity I remember Brian you got really mad at me when I suggested that you should consider Adam Bokvist. Then he really didn't work out for you right
0: yeah that was uh I mean you give me a lot of great advice Elon that might have been like the worst sort of like when in our discussions that, that might have been the worst piece you gave me this year which is okay like it's bound to happen I'm not mad at you I ultimately pulled the trigger I was like yeah okay I'll try it out and uh, it actually really stung. But I think at the end of the day, it probably didn't make a difference one way or the other. But looking at Jake Bean, it's nice to see him put up some numbers. I mean, we haven't seen anyone aside from Wierenski succeed consistently from the blue line in Columbus this year. Remember Vladislav Gavrikov? He had a short run, and then we saw like maybe a little hint from Boakvist. But I'd love to see if Bean gets an opportunity here, if he can run with it, uh, he was someone who was projected to have this kind of upside as a prospect, as someone who could run a power play. And if Jake Bean can put up another game with three or more shots on goal, I'd be more into him than Vince Dunn. I'd be more into him than Hampus Lindholm. I might put him on like Sean Dersey level, uh, but I would like to see more from him. But that's very contingent on Wawrenski staying out. So if Wawrenski's out and Bean has one more good game, uh, yeah, I'll get a little excited. Uh, For now, we've seen so little from him that it's hard to, to convince ourselves he's really worth it, but I would love to see him get an opportunity. Yeah,
1: I wonder how Columbus fans are feeling right now. Like, I almost would kind of think like this is the second Wierenski injury this year. They're not going to make the playoffs at this point. Are you just hoping that Wierenski is just out for the year? Hopefully, that leads to Columbus losing more games, getting a higher draft pick. Like at this point, like what is the reason to kind of root for Wierenski? But obviously, for fantasy purposes, you're really hoping Wierenski comes back if you've been riding him this season. That's for sure. Uh, oh, by the way, an interesting point by Shams here in the chat. You know how Brian you said that Markstrom's had a couple bad games recently. Shams is pointing out that he's been thrown in for a couple of back to back games recently. So maybe that's what's leading him to have worse numbers, since goalies generally need some rest <laughs> and not just to play every single day. Uh, to me, it doesn't make any sense. Why Calgary? Like they're clearly in the playoffs; they're they're cruising at this point. Why not just play Vladar on a back to back and not risk injuring or tiring out Markstrom? I don't I don't get it. But uh, what are you going to do? Okay, I'm not the coach.
0: As uh, as has been pointed out by Mason and our patron group, Nico Dawes. Speaking of back to backs, has now started three consecutive sets of back-to-back starts and like all within uh oh yeah he listed the dates here march 15th 16th march 22nd 23rd and march 26th 27th so that's three back-to-backs fully started by nico dawes in three weeks and i believe new jersey has another back-to-back coming up this week so we'll see what happens with it and uh, he's been doing, I mean, I think the truth is that New Jersey has literally nobody else who gives them any remote chance to win. John Gillies has not been it. So it's fun. And he's a guy. Why We didn't talk about him in New Jersey. We probably should have. Yeah, we've talked about him a lot. Yeah, Vin, yeah, like, yeah, Nico Dawes plays a lot. Uh, it makes sense to play him in the
1: back-to-backs. Like, his season's going to be over soon, okay? He doesn't need to be rested. Uh, Markstrom's hopefully going to have a long playoff run ahead, so he's the one who needs to maybe get some rest, I yeah. would think.
0: well, and, and Matt, in our patron group, who follows uh, who follows the Devils pretty closely, added that, you know, the, the Devils want to see as much Dawes as they can, and... I haven't heard this from anyone except Matt in our Discord server, keepingcarlson.com slash patron, if you're interested and want to join. Uh, But Matt is saying rumblings, which is one of my favorite rumor words. Rumblings say Blackwood may get traded in the offseason. And I mean, if Dawes does well enough, I could see that being possible. Blackwood can't stay healthy. He's been disappointing when he has been healthy. And uh, he, if I remember right, Elon, he's one of the last players to get vaccinated, which, you know, his choice but perhaps maybe didn't win him some fans in the team's front office and in the locker room. Like Tyler Bertuzzi also, you know, rumored to have been asking for a fresh start out of Detroit. So Blackwood was in a similar position. Maybe he needs a fresh start too. Yeah, I mean, if I were managing the Devils, like, you know, like if they were asking me for like advice, like
1: like a, if a fantasy team does on Twitter, you know, I would usually say you don't trade a player when their value is at its rock bottom because you're not going to get a good return. Like, I'd rather bring Blackwood back, try to showcase him and then get something else. Because what are what's a team going to give for Blackwood right now that's like missed almost the whole season and stunk when he did play? But I guess maybe if they really just have no faith in him, then yeah, you might as well at least get something for him. So I guess it depends how badly they think he's going to perform once they get him back in the net. Like, if and when that happens right who would you like moving forward for the rest of this season uh nico dawes two volume guys nico dawes or carl Veimalka? Who i knew that was be coming
0: i mean you really want to talk about Malka and talk him up i i think Veimalka might have the greater extremes like the greater awesome starts and the greater and the worst worst starts and nico dawes is going to be like a little bit below average kind of uh a little more even keel But I think I'd, yeah, I'd swing for the fences with Carl Pimelka. I think he has a little more potential to really steal some weeks compared to Nico Daz. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Okay, let's go now to the Your
1: Ottawa Senators! Ten games over the next three weeks, just like everyone we've been talking about recently. Three games, four games, three games. I'll be honest, Brian, I came up with the idea for this podcast and ranking all these teams before I actually looked at the schedules and realized how many teams are exactly the same. Uh, But here we go. Ottawa, first of all, welcome back, Drake Batherson! And he went right back to the top line and top power play, picked up an assist on a first period Artem Zub goal versus the Panthers. He had also two shots and five hits so i'm sure fantasy managers are very excited to get batherson back right before their fantasy playoffs if somehow you're in one of the 39 percent of yahoo leagues where he's available this is a obvious pause the pod like if you don't have him on your team they don't even tweet at us to be like, should I drop this person for, like, the answer is probably yes. He's very good, I think. Okay, you can still tweet at us, at Keevan Carlson, if you really want advice, but you'd have to be in a really shallow league for me to not be saying you should jump on Batherson, especially if your league counts hits. He's up to 35 points in 32 games on the season right now. Like, I'm wondering if this injury is almost gonna like deflate his draft value for next year. I feel like if he would have just been able to keep going, and if he obviously would have kept this up, then the cat would be completely out of the bag, and people would be taking him like a top three, top four round pick next year. I wonder if next year will be like your last chance to get Batherson early. Or am I just, like, getting too excited and maybe this is, like, too small sample size to think that this is now, like, a 75, 80-point guy with big peripherals?
0: Uh, I was actually saying you might not be getting excited enough. I think it's going to be hard to get Batherson late next year. You're going to have to pay full price for Drake Batherson after the season he's had. and Unfortunately, he was injured props of an amazing season but i love that he's already come back firing on all cylinders apparently this was the biggest injury and layoff that batherson had ever had in his career and he was a little he was open uh, about you know i'm not sure how i'll feel i've never been away this long uh that's great and the great news for batherson is he has now played one more nhl game since january 25th when he got injured one more nhl game than Aaron Dell has so welcome back Drake Batherson, and by the way, for anyone also wondering about the latest news out of Ottawa, which is that uh, Jake Sanderson has signed his three-year ELC. He's currently injured, so he's probably not going to be rushed back. He might get a game or two in at the end of the season. I read, I think it was an article over the, at The Athletic that said he had an, an emerging offensive game, which is true. He wasn't necessarily signed as an off- or drafted as an offensive guy, but he seems to have developed Uh, somewhat into that this year so he has top pair potential probably going to start in the top four next year um, but probably not much to look into for the rest of this season but it is exciting Uh, that Jake Sanderson is going to help steady that Ottawa blue line. Exciting for everybody who gets excited about steady Ottawa blue lines. (laughs) Go, Sens, go! Uh, By the way, speaking of the Ottawa blue line, I guess a few episodes ago, we talked about how
1: Eric Branstrom was taking over as the top power play quarterback there. Speaking of new top power play quarterbacks available, it's kind of meh, right? Like, he's got two points in his last five games. They're both power play assists, so we were right, but it would be nice if he could do something at even strength. Maybe Batherson back will help a little bit, but the shine is definitely worn off. I, I, I wouldn't be recommending for anyone to jump on France or maybe like for that second week when they play four times if you're really desperate but for next week not interesting to me yet we're gonna have to see something Okay, let's go to the Pittsburgh Penguins, who we started the show pointing out how they just dropped 11 goals on the Detroit Red Wings today. So there's a lot of players who did well. Uh, Evgeny Malkin was like a game-time decision for this game. I have had him in my IR in my Dynasty League, and I set an alarm for like 4... The game was at 5. I set an alarm for like 4.45 to like remind me to make sure to check if he's going to play or not. And like I'm very happy I did, because it was a huge game for Malkin on his line with... Ricard Raquel and Brian Rust. So interesting Penguin lines right now. People were kind of upset. Like I remember Lewis was complaining because he's been riding Rust all season and Rust, you know, playing away from Crosby and Gensel was a little bit concerning. But maybe now that they have Ricard Raquel, you know, playing with Malkin and Raquel... I don't know. Doesn't sound too bad, right? And Russ had himself a goal and two assists today. He's also still on the top power play, of course. So not a bad spot. Uh, Malkin, by the way, I don't think I actually completed what I was saying. Uh, He had a hat trick, yeah, and an assist. So great game for him. I mean, everyone had a great game. They scored 11 goals, okay? The player I wanted to ask you about is Ricard Raquel, who is not on the top power play. He's a guy who I've been saying forever that I really feel confident that if... Raquel was in a different situation. He could be like a big star. Like, he wasn't making me look that smart with that prediction over his first three games. He only had four shots and went pointless. But today, of course, he was able to pick up some. That would be really disappointing if he didn't even get a point today on any of the 11 goals. But no, he had a goal and two assists, four shots, only 14 minutes and 15 seconds of ice time. So, you know, not the greatest deployment in terms of that. But you can't argue with the line mates in Malkin and Rust. So, I don't know. I'm into Ricard Raquel. If not for next week, then definitely the week after. But uh, I don't know. I'm both into him, but also a little bit disappointed in him, if that makes sense. Like, I wanted him to be even better, but I think he's still something.
0: That's the Ricard Raquel story, right? I'm really into him, but I'm also really disappointed in him. That's how he's been on Anaheim for years. But the good news is that Pittsburgh has said they want him in the top six. So I'm going to preach patience here. You probably need a little less patience after seeing what Raquel did today with those three points in the Detroit game. Uh, But it had been a disappointing start. And it's also a good time to remember that being in that Pittsburgh top six There's no guarantee, right? We've seen guys get acquired and put into that Pittsburgh top six and do nothing. David Perron, Jason Zucker as a couple examples. So I hope Raquel is the exception here. Everything I see in his career numbers points to a top six skater. Raquel actually reminds me a bit of someone like Anders Lee in that his underlying numbers look great. And he's had some big successes, but also some stretches of nothing at all. And also these up and down shooting percentages. Like Anders Lee for, I think... Four to six seasons. I can't remember with his numbers uh, in front of me, but he was going uh, low shooting percentage, high shooting percentage, low, high. And it was just like, okay, well, which is the real shooting percentage that we can expect things to regress to? Whereas Raquel uh, had a sort of similar thing, except he wasn't alternating. He just went from shooting three seasons in a row at 13 to 15% to shooting 7% in the following three seasons. This year, Raquel is back up to 10% at five on five, but I'm still waiting for the real Raquel to please stand up and let us know, hey, are you a a high highly efficient converter or are you a below average converter? I, I think he should be an effective shooter. So I'm going to lean towards Raquel's true shooting percentage being up above 10%, which bodes well for the future. I'd love to see more of Raquel in prime opportunities in Pittsburgh. And I'm with you, Elon. I'm going to stay optimistic about Raquel there for now. Uh, one person, by the way, you said who didn't have a good game in Pittsburgh today. How about this? Jake Gensel, zero shots uh, in this game against the trade. He had one assist, played only 16 minutes. Um, maybe he was getting a rest as things took easy and I'm just flipping through his game log now yeah he started the year with a nine shot game and Jake Gensel uh, this is the first time this season that he has gone without a single shot on goal so sorry to anybody rostering Jake Gensel who needed a big showing from him today he is uh I guess the Pittsburgh
1: version of John Tavares sure but I mean also it's like he still got a point at least like Tavares would generally when the Leafs would yeah. have those big games he'd do <laughs> absolutely true. nothing Like, yeah. if anything the fact that you're disappointed with an assist means that he's just so amazing uh, but yeah I'll, I'm sure it's score effects right in terms of the ice time like when you're up 11 to 2 or whatever it was at various points yes. in the game you, you don't need to play your top line all the time uh, speaking of Raquel by the way it's funny how you're talking about like, the shooting percentage and what percentage shooter he is like I'm still like waiting to see if he's going to take lots of shots you know because those first three games in Pittsburgh he wasn't shooting much and I'm worried about that low ice time but yeah once we get get past the point where he's actually taking some shots then yeah the next thing is to see how many of them are actually going to go in and i guess that's how hockey works so i've just uh explained hockey to the listeners I hope finally
0: after 400 episodes of the show it's about time you explained hockey
1: <laughs> yeah first you need shots that's step one then you got to figure out how to get those shots to go in And then you're pretty good. Then there's the whole part about, like, stopping the other team from taking shots. But we'll save that for lesson two next week. Okay, so we've got the Tampa Bay Lightning, another team that plays ten times over the next three weeks. Three, four, then three. A late power play goal from Stamkos and an OT winner from Point helped Tampa break a three-game losing streak with the win over Detroit on Saturday. I believe they played again today. Yeah, and they won again. So look at that. Losing skid over. We had uh, someone on Twitter asking us to talk about why, like, Tampa has stopped winning. And there you go. Two-game winning streak. All is good in the world. They actually uh, only took two or one shots for four straight games going into today's game against the Islanders. But it looks like they put up four against the combination of Sorokin and Varlamov, which we'll get to in a sec. It looks like Sorokin might be injured, by the way. Yeah, left after the second. Yeah, so we'll get to the Islanders in just a sec. We're on Tampa here. Who do we want to talk about on Tampa? There's such like a team. It's like, what is there to talk about with this team? Yeah, they've got their... Like, for a team that's like so amazing, scores so many goals. I think we've even made this point before. You've got your three superstars. Point, Kucherov, Stamkos then you've got all these other guys that are all kind of boring and maybe not even worth rostering like Killorn at one point was on a good line uh, but lately he's been playing like it was like Point Kucherov and Stamkos playing together recently leaving everyone else to sort of fend for themselves I guess Killorn I see scored today but yeah I think that uh, Tampa is just a team where even though they're a good team and even right now they're on a bit of a slow stretch so maybe you can even explain why they've stopped scoring goals recently but I think regardless we're at a point where you just want to have these three forwards the one defenseman and Hedman and everyone else is kind of boring
0: yeah well even some of the stars have been boring lately like to put a face on tampa's team-wide struggles nikita kucherov has just four points in his last eight games and he had a run of where where he went pointless in four of five games which is an extreme rarity for him i didn't comb through his game logs to see if or when that's ever happened since he broke out but i i'm guessing it hasn't uh and tampa is a team they've been held to just one or two goals only in seven of their last eight games. For comparison, Tampa had been held to one or two goals or zero only 15 times in 56 games before this stretch. And now seven of their last eight. So basically, Tampa would score three or more goals in four or five games. And then, you know, the fourth or fifth, they'd score just one or two. So what's going on here? Well, the team is shooting 6% at all situations four percent at five on five and honestly I think that's all there is to explain what's going on in Tampa I compared their other team uh like their team wide offensive numbers and their expected goals rates have actually been higher in this stretch where they're not scoring goals and the rest of the season before it but the rest of the season before this Tampa was shooting 10 percent at five on five second in the league uh, even though their expected goals are actually outside the top 10 and more mid-pack than high end so you know maybe Tampa isn't a top offensive team in the league but they're at least mid-pack for sure top third I would say um, and this has just been a little bit of an outage so I'm not going to give up on any Tampa player we'd normally expect to contribute I guess you're talking about guys like Kalorn and Sorelli and Sergachev. I would say if they've been good enough to help you in the past I think chances are the same as usual they'll help you in your next game I know Tampa has been quiet lately I think it's just a shooting percentage blip I think they'll be fine you may be able if you want uh, to stream out those extra tampa guys until friday and just add them back to your team when their schedule looks up again because of the lack of offense maybe no one else will run for them Uh, that's a risk it's up to you to take depending on the way your league functions but i am not uh, changing my thinking on tampa the rest of the season they are still a very good offensive team who are just having a hard time putting pucks in the net even though they're doing nothing worse than they ever do
1: yeah, I hear you. And the lines could obviously change at any time. Though they have one, two in a row now playing Stamkos, Kucherov, and Point together on one line. I kind of feel like if they do that, just to me, like I don't really care what like Killorn was doing earlier in the year because he was doing that playing with like one of Stamkos or Point, you know. So it's like if Killorn is playing on a line with Palat and Sorelli, it's just like that. That's not. But he's still on the top power place. So yeah, he could maybe do something, but he's a lot less interesting to me now that they're loading up the top line for however long that lasts. Uh, let's go to Detroit now, the team that was on the other side of this. Uh, you know destruction against the penguins they play also 10 times in the next three weeks but now we're on to teams that play three three and then four games so maybe you're less interested in these teams because you don't want to just bank on making it to the finals right you still got to get through the next two weeks and i hate to say this brian you were talking about some players on tampa that you don't want to say that they are like people you have to be less excited about yet here's a player that i really don't want to tell people to be less excited about because i love this player but it's my job as a journalist for Brelon Entertainment and keeping Carlson. Uh, Moritz Sider is on a cold streak all of a sudden. Only one assist in his last 10 games played. That was going into today, and I see he didn't get a point today. That means only one point in 11 games for Moritz Sider. Such rough timing, right? Going cold right before the fantasy playoffs, and the Wings only play three times in each of the next two weeks. He's still been solved for shots and blocks, so he's giving decent peripherals. But, like, where has this offense gone? And, Brian, do you think this cold streak is sustainable or fleeting? Like, I don't want to recommend... For people to drop Moritz Cider for like Sean Dersey or Vince Dunn, but I'm looking at the numbers, and right now there's no offense for Cider. Don't make me do it. Please tell me a reason why people should still expect Cider to bounce back.
0: All right, one point in 11 games for Moritz Cider, and uh, he's still shooting plenty. So I'm actually not that concerned. He's still also seeing tons of minutes. Uh, you know, as many as 28 against the Islanders a few days ago. And uh, still throwing hits, still blocking shots. Maybe this is a you know an easy explanation is always uh, it's the rookie wall that he's falling off. Um, but on the whole, Cider's still pacing for 52 points on the season, and I'm not uh, I'm not down on him at all. Like this might be Elon, a bit of a Devontae's situation where you know he might have been overperforming by a bit. And sure, he's he's colder than we should expect him to be the rest of the season now. But maybe this is just sort of some some of the early luck evening out a little bit. Not that we said on the show that Cider has been extremely lucky, because a couple weeks ago, I think we gave him some props for the amazing season he's having and saying, you know, without knowing what his career baselines are, we think a lot of it he can keep up, and I, and I do think he can keep up a 50-55 point pace the rest of the way, so don't get too down. Uh, it's unfortunately he's gone so silent, uh, as, as silent as he's been, really, since uh, there was a cold stretch in November where he wasn't doing much. I'm hoping this is just the same deal, needs a little rest, but is playing tons of minutes. I guess the, the worst case is that Cider has just been run into the ground, uh, he's tired, He's just about done. His body's giving in on him and he'll work on his conditioning in the offseason and he won't be as effective the rest of the way. But I'm going to stay optimistic as long as the shots are coming because he's taken at least two shots in uh, his last seven games. And that's a great sign for a defenseman, including four shots against Pittsburgh today.
1: Yeah, I am with you. I'm happy that that was your answer. You didn't convince me otherwise. I think if anything, if Cider is going to get dropped in leagues because of this cold stretch, I think he could be potentially a really sneaky and nice add for the rest of the year. Next up, Brian, we got a couple more 3-3-4 teams to go before we'll get to the teams with the very best schedules to end this podcast. Yeah, let's go to Montreal next. Looks like Jeff Petrie is going to be out a while with a lower body injury, which is too bad. He had turned his season around, gotten to a point of being like, quote unquote, rosterable at least in the keeping Carlson ultimate Patriot fantasy league, something you definitely could not say about him for the first two thirds of the season. So obviously he didn't bounce back to what he was doing last year, but it was nice for him to actually be someone that you're interested in having on your fantasy team, but he's out indefinitely. So we guess we just forget about him for now uh, with Petrie out. It looks like Chris Weidman continues to get top power play deployment for the Hats. He's actually had this job for a while. We never really talked about him because he wasn't doing much with it, but he actually has eight assists in his last 10 games, at least going into today. And seven of those eight assists were on the power play. Oh, wow. He has another point today, actually. So make that nine. And again, Oh, not on the power play. Wow. So a rare thing for Chris Weidman to get an even strength point. The player that I actually considered him as a comparison is like Will Butcher back when he was getting all those power play points in New Jersey. And that was basically all he would do is either be a power play assist, not even point, right? Power play assist or nothing. And that seems to be what Chris Weidman is. But if you want points, it seems like he's a pretty decent bet to get you a point. Maybe, I don't know, three points every five games, maybe three points every six games at least while he's holding this power play spot, which he's been doing lately. Like, I'm not really interested in him at all. I'm assuming you're not going to tell people to drop cider for Chris Weidman, but I had to bring him up, right?
0: You had to bring him up uh, because we had to talk about someone on Montreal. Uh, Weidman's like the poster boy for on the top power plane, still not worth adding this year. Uh, so it's it's interesting. He's finally doing something. So good for him. Uh, we also had K-Towney, uh, a regular in our live chat, mentioned that Justin Barron, who's the piece that the Habs acquired in the Arturi-Lakinen trade, with Colorado is playing his first game uh, with Montreal tonight and is actually looking pretty good. It looks like he got a few uh, three on three overtime shifts, 15 minutes of ice, two shots on goal. Uh, 20 years old. He's, I was looking up uh, where he's at in like prospect rankings. Dauber has him as his 28th prospect defenseman on the top 50 list. So a high end for former first round pick of the Avs, Justin Barron, looking good early in Montreal. So maybe keep an eye on him. I don't know. Maybe he's more interesting than Chris Weidman, who is barely interesting. Um, but yeah, also, why don't we just mention Caulfield and Suzuki. Caulfield going into today, 24 points in 20 games. Suzuki, 22 points in 20 games. And honestly, both both look for real. Like, at one spurn, twice shy, right? We all went heavy on Caulfield and Suzuki into fully going into the season. It didn't happen. But I feel... Like, you know, you're, you're talking about Batherson. Could we get him late? I think you have a better chance of sneaking value on Caulfield and Suzuki later than they deserve to be drafted because they've already let everyone down once than you would Batherson. I think there might be a market inefficiency here. So take note about Caulfield and Suzuki. I'm not disbelieving any of what they've done since Marty St. Louis. That's why I picked the 20-game sample. That's since he came on board. They're both above a point per game, and they look real. They really do. Wow. Yeah. So it'll, drafts next year are going to be fast. I'm already,
1: like, obviously I'm, I'm excited about the fantasy playoffs coming up and I hope I'm going to win all three of my leagues, but I'm also already excited for draft season and to start figuring out our projections for some of these new players. And yeah, it looks like Caulfield and Suzuki, if they could continue what they've been doing with Martin St. Louis, they could be point per game players next year, which would make them potentially yeah good value in drafts if many people aren't ready to believe it. Okay. Philly. Bressard is gone. Konechny was hurt. He came back today. I don't know, it's going to be a painful end of the season for these guys. There's some new player named Hayden Hodgson who had a goal and an assist in his NHL debut on Thursday. He was playing with Hayes and Lindblom. Like, we've talked about Philly a lot, so there aren't too many like new players to talk about, so I figured I'd just ask you who... Well, let me see what he did, because Philly played again today against Nashville. They lost 5-4. to four. What did Hayden Hodgson do? No points. Alright,
0: so don't, don't, don't even double H. Him. Whatever,
1: 12 minutes. Yeah, yeah th-
0: this guy's uh, undrafted, 26 years old. I know you said don't talk about him, but I did the research, so let me cash in on it. Uh, <laughs> Win- Windsor native of Windsor, Ontario. He played in the OHL, but never had one really great offensive season Oh yeah, this is the OHL guy I was talking about before He he had one great Offensive season in the OHL was When he was an overager So it doesn't even really count as being a good offensive season Because you're basically uh, a, a big guy beating up On all the noobs in the OHL um, in 2017-18 Hodgson played his first pro season uh, he played in the HL six points in 41 games and then he played in the ECHL until this year he played with six different e- ECHL clubs over four years Uh this guy's the definition of a journeyman nice that he's getting a cup of coffee in the NHL but I don't expect we'll see him ever again in the NHL beyond this cup so uh Hayden Hodgson, congratulations. You've beaten a lot of odds to get here. And I hope you have a long and wonderful stay in the NHL, but I'm not counting on it.
1: Okay, Uh, fair enough. And I'm not counting on us talking about Philly many more times for the rest of this year. There's not too much fantasy value to be gleaned here at this point that people don't already know about, at least. Let's go to the Sharks. They also go 3-3-4 for the next three weeks. Another hat trick for Timo Meyer on Saturday, though it was against the Ducks, so... Don't be too, too impressed, but still another great game for Meyer. Uh, This is with Logan Couture out with an upper body injury, by the way. He's apparently just day-to-day, could be back as soon as next Wednesday. But for those looking for streamers, Alexander Barabanov is hot once again, a goal and five assists in his last five games, playing with Meyer and Hurdle on the top line, and also he's taken Couture's spot on the top power play. So I feel like if Barabanov is still around come Wednesday morning, like even if Couture comes back i still think he's actually quite interesting if he's gonna stick playing with meyer and and hurdle which seems likely so i definitely you know we talked about before some guys at the beginning of the show your dodanovs like i definitely think that barabanov is in the same conversation and maybe even more interesting depending on the schedule
0: agree yeah i will also take barabanov over those other that other pile because he's had a uh, better runs for most of the year than those other guys so yes i am with you elon
1: Okay, and then looking in net, uh, James Rammer continues to crush it since returning from his injury, while Capo Kockanen led in four goals in the Sharks debut versus Edmonton on Thursday. And eh, fair, it was against Edmonton. They're a tough team to play against, but technically the Sharks are still in the wildcard hunt. I just checked their 10 points back with 17 games to go, three in hand over Vegas, who currently holds the spot, or at least that was going into today. So I wonder if the Sharks, like, you know, on one hand, it might be nice to see what they have in Kockanen, you know, they just traded for him, but on the other, while they're still in playoff contention, before they're eliminated I kind of think they're gonna go with the hot hand so I don't know I, I thought at first when I saw that they acquired Kockinen that this is bad news for Reimer and he's gonna play less but I'm not sure because Reimer just keeps playing really well
0: yeah this is uh, not just the matter of going with the hot hand in James Reimer over Cabo Kockinen it's going with the better goalie and I think the Sharks you know they've been through enough goaltending trauma to feel like hey we have a chance to take a shot on a guy here we might as well so i like that they're taking a chance on kakinen but as we've mentioned countless times on the show kakinen has not shown the goods yet uh there's been sneak sneak peeks of potential but nothing so convincing yet and this season he has not been good so that's reason to keep giving james Rammer starts
1: yeah, so Reimer, if he's somehow out there for you in free agency, I think he could have a good run. And he's looked really good lately. Well, actually, pretty much all season. All right, let's go to the Jets now. Another 3-3-4 team. The last one we're going to talk about, Josh Morrissey, up to four goals and one assist in his last six games going into today. And he had 21 shots in that span with hits and blocks to boot. So, man, anyone who uh, grabbed Morrissey back when we recommended him like a month or two ago when he was like available in a lot of leagues... Hopefully you're sending us a gift basket, uh, you know, message me and I'll tell you our address that you could send that to uh,
0: Brian. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah your hand I, I just, I just want to add, like, are you surprised that Morrissey has been, I'm surprised that Morrissey has been this good for this long.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Like, he's never really yeah. had a run like this. Like, we saw that he was on the top power play. I remember thinking at the time, well, okay, he's on the top power play now. You probably want him. And, yeah, today he didn't get a point. Uh, Karol Vemelka is hard to score against, as we've discussed. Uh, the, the Jets won 2-1 to one in overtime. Vemelka, 38 saves. So that's, that's what we're talking about, right? You're going to get a lot of saves from him. But back to the Jets. So, yeah, Morrissey didn't get a point, but he still was plus 2. So he was clearly involved with the offense. Three shots, two hits. You know, he's really good. He's He's just
0: filling up peripherals even better than he ever really has. And, like, if you look at the game logs, he sort of had a nice week in mid February and then was mostly cold until he's had a nice week and a bit since mid March. So, like, he hasn't been great straight through, but he's held on to this top power play production. He's putting up three or more shots a game often add in some hits and blocks. And uh, yeah, this is the most fancy relevant he's ever been. And I, like I said, I'm a little surprised, but it's great to see.
1: Yeah, it's great for the Jets. Also, because as we've discussed, Neil Pionk has been a little bit of a disappointment. So it's nice that they're, you know, whatever they've lost in Pionk's value, they've gained in in Morrissey and it all evens out maybe.
0: Pionk is not like, I feel like we talked a lot about Pionk going cold and like he's been okay yeah he's okay he's actually cold again like he has one at one point in his last I think it's six or seven games but before that he had a nice little 10 game stretch where he looked to be himself but a lot of ups and downs on this uh on this Winnipeg blue line this year
1: yeah right now obviously Morrissey is the clear guy you want over Piong. It's not even close, uh, but yeah there there 's still a chance that peon can get you a point every now and then for sure okay let 's go to Nashville now the final ten game team over the next three weeks, though it comes in the form of two games next week and then four and four in the final two weeks. so this is potentially a great opportunity for anyone who has earned a buy or maybe at some point you 'll realize that you have your you know matchup next week well in hand. Potentially, some teams that are desperate may have to drop some Predators, and that'll be your opportunity to grab them for those great final two weeks unfortunately, like, I don't know exactly who you might be able to get. I think probably the best potential free agent I don't think like Duchesne or Forsberg or like Roman Yossi, obviously those three aren't getting dropped. So we're probably looking at like Ryan Johansson and Mikhail Granlin that might end up becoming available to you. And I don't know, they haven't been like especially exciting. Lately, Granlin got back on the top line for a bit, but I see today he was back on the second line and Johansson was on the top line. Maybe the one player that you should be the most interested in is Tanner Jeannot, especially in your league with hits. Like he just had a new baby, by the way, but uh, he came back today and, and I know that we always joke around the players who just had a baby we think they're gonna like fall off but i think that's more like you know if they've you know had to like take care of the baby for like a long time over yeah, the summer like instantly
0: after yeah. the baby it's like within you know the first year or two years when you're yeah if you're trying to pair parenthood with playing which he hasn't had to do yet
1: yeah, so he just has a few more weeks to go in the regular season, so hopefully he can he keep this up. He came back to play today against Philly, and he scored the overtime winning goal to go along with the two assists he picked up, so he, this guy just continues to have this fantastic rookie season. I was able to grab him in free agency in Tier 1 of the Cacupful just a couple days ago. I thought I had my lineup set, and I was happy with it, but then I noticed Matt Boldy was there really struggling, and Ben and I talked about Boldy, and we'll get to him soon because we haven't gotten to Minnesota yet, uh, and I saw Janot dropped, plus he was even even like IR eligible because Yahoo was kind enough to give him the O because he missed a game because he went to go witness the birth of his baby. And so, you know, I, I grabbed him and I'm excited for him, right? Because I actually am lucky enough to have a bye. So I'm just going to get these final two weeks of four games and four games. And this guy is having such a great rookie season. He's up to now 22 goals in 65 games. Brian, you think he's going to get up to 25? think he's gonna get up to 30 and by the way a fun fact i was just looking through janeau's game log before you answer that question uh, he's only had one game this year where he scored more goals than he had hits that was on october 24th where he had a goal and no hits which is very rare he throws the body around a lot which is especially impressive right like it's very we're talking like ovechkin maybe like tom wilson but not even for a player who scores so many goals and throws so many hits right
0: i mean i don't know like usually you have zero or one goals in a game Sometimes you have two. Rarely you have three. And, like, so this means Jeanneau is a consistent hitter. And that's great. I'd actually be more interested to see, Elon, if you're willing to do the leg work, how many, how many times Jeanneau has taken more shots than hits.
1: Okay, right? fair enough. I guess the thing that I was saying that is impressive is just the fact that he has, like, 20-plus goals and throws so many hits. Like, yeah. forget about the game lock you're, thing. Okay. I think that's rare. Sure.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah. It's, it's rare to find somebody who... Uh, uh, hits as often as he does while scoring as much as he does and as you know is uh, like 20 21 goals coming into tonight really impressive considering he averages uh you know like middle six minutes uh, he has like a pk roll which is where he picks up a bunch of minutes and he's seeing just about 12 minutes of five on five ice time per night uh he is shooting 20 percent on the season which is probably high and is like you're asking if you to get to 25 30 goals i think you get up to 25 Uh, I think all things normal with no weird variability happening. Geno is the sort of guy who can get you a goal like every three or four games because he only takes one and a half shots per game on average. Um, so that's, uh, you know, 105 shots this year for Geno, 231 hits. So there's a ratio for you to consider as well. Uh, it's great. 22 goals in 65 games. I would expect 25 goals. I wouldn't expect 30. But I'm open to him getting on a run and getting, you know, landing somewhere between 25 and 30. A great season, a great guy to have. I don't know. I think he's going to be overvalued next year, if you're asking me, which I I don't think you have. But the rest of the season, I think he's a a fun guy to take a swing on as a guy who's who's hitting a lot, especially if there's value for that. Just don't count on a lot of shots. And we don't know yet if he can keep up a 20% shooting percentage.
1: Yeah, I think I'm with you in terms of, like, it's really hard to predict these players who, like, the majority of their value comes from goals because goals are rare, and a player could easily just go cold, especially if they don't shoot very often. So I think the upside for next year would be if he could ever earn his way into the top six, which, you know, he's, he's just a rookie, right? So maybe with more experience, he can get that extra job. Though, obviously, it's working out well for Nashville having him where he is right now. All right, now to the teams with really amazing schedules. For those of you who have listened to an hour and 50 minutes, however long this podcast has been, now you get the players who... Uh, even if you don't like the player, you might still want to add him just because the team is going to play a lot. Carolina plays 11 times over the next three weeks, four games next week, four games the following week, three games in the finals. I don't know how many people have noticed, but Auntie Ranta is putting together a really fantastic season, eh? Like, his win versus St. Louis yesterday was his fifth quality start in a row. He's up to a 919 save percentage in the 20 games he's played. He hasn't gotten injured very much, which was generally the concern with Ranta uh, Going into next week, Carolina plays Monday, Tuesday, and Tuesday is versus Tampa. So on one hand, you might think, oh, I don't think I want Ronta versus Tampa. But as we've discussed, Tampa's not even scoring that many goals lately. So I'm going to just throw it out there right now and say that I think this is a spot start you may want to consider right away. Way. And then Caroline is going to play four games the next week. So he might even, you know, give you another couple of games. So Ranta is, I think, a really good goalie to potentially stream. And then other potential Monday, Tuesday streams, maybe you could look at like Seth Jarvis, who scored on Saturday from the top line with Ajo and Tara Vine, and no guarantee he'll stay there. Martin Nechas has been a huge disappointment this year. But lately, he's been playing on the second line with Chochek and Svechnikov, and he had a good game recently. Uh, so those are two boring options. I don't we've already talked about all these guys. I don't really have a question for you. Just wanted to throw out some names about Carolina that people could consider because of this good early week schedule.
0: Yeah. And uh, on Ranta is the one maybe I'll focus on, which we we shouldn't talk too loudly about the season he's putting together. You know, find wood and touch it ASAP. Uh, If if Ranta misses any time from here on out, uh, maybe it's on us, Elon. But his career is putting up a career high season going by ranta's performance above his expected save percentage and by the way we've, we've mentioned this before but to repeat it again anti ranta has always been good like career history shows that he could be a top 10 goalie in the league year in year out if his time on ice wasn't limited by repeated injuries that knock him out of action for a long time ranta turns 33 this may it'd be nice for him to get another two or three years in of playing and staying healthy to have some measure of the career his plays deserved because auntie ranta is a really good goalie he just hasn't been able to stay healthy so let's hope this is the start of something good you know letang we saw be in prone for so long and i'm um, touch wood again he's holding on he's played a lot of games the last little while so let's hope ranta can find the same in his mid 30s
1: Okay, let's go to another goalie now over in Dallas, who also plays 11 games. And there are also four games, four games, and then three games. So don't even worry about the finals. Let's get there with these great four-game weeks coming up. Scott Wedgwood has been doing pretty well lately. And I think if he is announced to get either of the Tuesday or Thursday games versus Anaheim, I'd recommend grabbing him because a game versus Anaheim is good. And then Dallas plays two games next weekend uh, versus San Jose and then Seattle. So Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, right? So I'm saying if you see a notification on, let's say, Tuesday that Wedgwood is playing, that means you're going to get two games that's, that week against all team, He'd probably get Seattle, right? He'd probably get the Sunday game. So you got Anaheim and Seattle. Those are two good spot starts. And Wedgwood had a really good game recently. He had 43-plus saves, actually, in each of his last three games, including his first game as a star versus Carolina. I know Ettinger is a starter I'm not saying that like Wedgwood is going to challenge for that I'm saying like he's good for a spot start when you could potentially get two games in a week but it is worth noting Ettinger has been struggling a bit lately I wouldn't be surprised if Wedgwood gets two games next week and maybe two games the following week and by the way he's only 29 years old so I wonder if he is currently got a lot to play for right he's going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year so I mean I'd assume every goalie in the NHL I'd hope is trying their best but Wedgwood has a lot to play for and so I think it's going to be really exciting to see what he could do down the stretch now playing for the Dallas Stars. And yeah, Brian, here, here's a question for you. Uh, there's two goalies this year in the NHL that are really shocking to me that they're get, playing as well as they have been and are actually even regulars in the league. Those are Scott Wedgwood and Anton Forsberg. Who's surprising you more at this point between the two? Uh,
0: you know, the the numbers say I should be more surprised by Forsberg, but I find myself a little more surprised by Wedgwood and the numbers that I'm quoting well Forsberg over the course of his career 90 games he's had a five on five save percentage that sits at 912 since 2014 and Forsberg was a a seventh rounder very late in the draft 188th overall back in 2011 meanwhile Scott Wedgwood has done better than Forsberg at five on five with a 917 save percentage in 70 career games played since 2015 and Wedgwood was a third round pick Uh, 84th overall back in 2010. So here are these guys finally getting a run where they're shining. You know, Wedgwood had this huge start to his career where he played three games at age 23 in March of 2015, so seven years ago now. And he was phenomenal then, but he didn't play again. I think there was an injury. He didn't play again until 2017 where he started well and fell off and hasn't seen this kind of consistent action since then. So it's great that Wedgwood is doing well. His career numbers are actually... Decent. He's played in line with his expected save percentage mark through his career. So there's a chance that this guy could be uh, at least a timeshare starter as his next step. And uh, I'm curious to see what he can do the rest of the season. There's lots of pucks to stop in Dallas, apparently. And there were lots in Arizona. Maybe this is a guy who thrives on volume. And uh, so if you're asking me who I'm most surprised by, Elon, I, I I think Forsberg is the most surprising one, just because he's had the worst career to date and was a later round draft pick. But who has the potential to continue surprising and actually work his way into a starter's role at some point in the next couple of years? I'll go Scott Wedgwood
1: hmm yeah well also Forsberg signed that contract right they're both interesting to me I'm happy for both of them It must be weird to spend your whole life fighting to get into the league then like it doesn't go the way you hoped it would and then like somehow you're able to you know keep plugging away in the minors or whatever and then eventually get in and now a prominent player on a team obviously Wedgwood may be potentially more prominent if Dallas actually gets into the playoffs and he gets to help them but they've got a ways to go to get there okay uh, let's go now to the Minnesota Wild who also play 11 times in the next three weeks four games then three games and four games we have to talk about Matt Boldy uh Ben brought him up on short shifts on Thursday I was like yeah he's cold like I still feel like he's good he's still playing with Fiala it's a bummer that he's off the top power play but like we saw what he did before anyway blah 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 another pointless game for him on Saturday another pointless game for him today so we're looking at like one point in what like his last 10 11 like Matt Boldy is super cold his ice time is low I think we're approaching snoozer territory right like I think he's probably gonna have a great career uh, and I know I said on short shifts that I would still hold on, but then I went back on it and I tweeted about it. I wanted to be honest with people. <laughs> like, I didn't want people to like, you know, think that I wasn't following what I said. But yeah, I looked into it. I ended up dropping him for Tanner Janot, which I'm I'm fine with right now. And, you know, today is another example of, of why I did it, right? Because Jeannot got himself three points and Boldy, another quiet game. Really disappointing because he was looking like an ad of the season, you know, uh, just a couple weeks ago.
0: He was this has been a fall from grace after a skyrocket to must roster Uh Boldy's pointless in five going into today only six shots combined in those five games it's time on ice down to line three minutes playing only 12 or 13 minutes a night so this is not a great place for Boldy to be it's hard to endorse him I believe he could blow up again anytime uh, but he is a snoozer for the moment which is a guy who you have on your roster because you think he's doing well and you don't need to keep close tabs on him but actually you do um, by the way, Kevin Fiala still humming along. Gaudreau, Freddie Gaudreau, still hit or miss. Um, but uh, yeah, Boldy is not presently a must roster during the fantasy playoffs. And I, I think he still could be at some point more so than Gaudreau. Uh Who would you rather have, actually, Elon? Freddie Gaudreau or Matt Boldy?
1: Uh, I don't know. Probably You're bored
0: probably. by both of them.
1: Yeah, okay. someone who's doing more. I'd rather Fiala <laughs> if you could have him.
0: Well, yeah, of course. We'd all <laughs> rather Fiala.
1: we'd all rather have some more Fiala in our lives. Okay, Uh, next up, let's go to the Islanders. Four games and three games and four games coming up. Nothing's really changed since we covered them last. Andres Lee and Brock Nelson are still red hot lately. They've even been bringing their lineman Anthony Beauvillier with them for a couple good games recently. Uh, Today, we already discussed how the Islanders lost... 4-1 4-1 to one to uh, Tampa Bay today. Let's see who got that goal. Brock Nelson. There you go. So he continues to just have this amazing second half of the year. Honestly, didn't get the assist. So rude. But he did have five shots. So he made up for it with the quantity there. Meanwhile, Matt Barzal continues to play on a line with Parisi and Wallstrom. Or maybe today it changed. I guess I could give you the update. But the, the main story here is that Matt Barzal is becoming kind of boring. He's not like at Matt Boldy territory, but he's you know starting to approach it in terms of someone you're expecting to do something for you. And he continues to be quiet. So, yeah, today's game, Barzal played on a line with yeah, Wallstrom and Parisi, which aren't great linemates. Like maybe one day Wallstrom will be great. And at one point in the past, Parisi was great. But currently, I'm not too excited about Wallstrom or Parisi now with this pointless game today i'm counting just two assists in barzal's last five games no shots today also i think oh man brian i'm getting concerned here would it be too crazy to start recommending like at least we're talking about the islanders here at the point of the show where we're at teams with good schedules so if you're going to be patient with someone you're probably going to want to do that with matt barzal because he's been a superstar in the league for a while but not great yeah no shots today Only 14 minutes and 58 seconds of ice time. So not good.
0: Yeah, that is a trend, by the way. Uh, Matt Barzell's low ice time. Remember, he missed six games not long ago. Since returning, uh, now five points in 10 games. And coming into today, he was averaging, he's probably averaging closer to 16 minutes now versus the, the 18 and a half minutes before he was injured. That's a two and a half minute difference in average ice time. So maybe Barzell is still a little ginger here. Uh, he's still shooting for the most part, still taking faceoffs, but I wonder if he's not at 100%. What's crazy is that the Isles are basically eliminated from the playoffs, and I wonder if that has anything to do with this and Barzal playing less. Uh, the Isles are the only team out of the playoff picture with a goal differential close to zero. Uh, coming into today, the Isles were at a negative one goal differential. Every other team out of the playoffs picture in the East is is between a negative 30 and negative 77 goal differential. So it's been a rough year for the Isles, just not getting what they deserve necessarily, but also having just a, like, also kind of getting what they deserve. But this is less reason to push Barzell. Um, I'd be a little concerned if I rostered him, but I don't think I'm about to drop him. I think you have to be patient. Although a couple more games, if he's playing 14 to 16 minutes and there are better options producing and you're in dire straits, like he might fall into the Besser category where he's someone who's hard to drop because you think he should be doing better but if he's not at some point you got to pull the plug
1: yeah it's it's crazy i remember when we first started talking about barzal's cold streak and we were like oh and his linemates aren't that great he's like now on what looks like the third line with parisian wallstrom we we're like well no but that's not the third line barzal's line is the top line but now like the deployment is looking like third or le- definitely not top line deployment that's a uh, brock nelson and Anders lee territory so uh, really weird. I hope you're right and it's an injury. Not that I want him to be injured, but I just want to have a good excuse and not to have to try to explain why he's all of a sudden fell off. Uh, let's go now to the Toronto Maple Leafs, who play three times next week and then four times in the following two weeks. Mark Giordano has yet to point with his new team. He's been putting up the perifs like crazy. Three hits and two blocks versus New Jersey. Flat five blocks versus Montreal. I see he had another five blocks today to go along with three hits, so that's great, but no shots. This guy's not shooting at all with the Leafs. So that's actually kind of concerning. I think I'd rather the fewer hits and blocks, but at least some shots on goal and the potential for points that he was putting up in Seattle. So I'm not sure at this point. Whether I have him in the cupful. I'm not sure if I'm going to hold on or not. I still haven't decided. Uh, By the way, big opportunity for Petr Marazic today because, you know, he got waived. We saw that. Then he ended up coming back to the Leafs, I guess, because Harry Sateri ended up going to Arizona. So the Leafs ended up bringing him back to the main roster after he cleared waivers. And he had a 3-2 win over the Devils on Wednesday. And I see he had a nice win today over Florida. So, I don't know. All of a sudden, maybe this was like a wake-up call for Morazek and maybe he is someone that you want to take a shot on again. I'd still be a little nervous, but... I think you
0: have to you yeah. have to take a shot on Petter Morazic, especially, like, he just beat Florida. I think I saw, this is Florida's, like, second regulation loss to a divisional opponent all season long, or something like that. Someone needs to check that. It was just a tweet I saw in passing during the show, so I might have gotten some part of it wrong. But Petr Marazic, you you gotta go. If, if he was dropped... I actually tried to get him today, and I had some roster issues that made it not possible for me, unfortunately. But uh, if he's sitting in free agency, you go get him right now. Because Eric Shalgren did stumble a little, as we might have expected, and Sateri so isn't coming. So Morazic has probably got to be the guy. And it would be weird if he needed to be waived and his career like basically threatened for him to find the focus and drive to succeed. But hey maybe that's uh that's just another chip on his shoulder to motivate him so you got to go out and get Morazek for as long as Campbell is out like how can you not at this point maybe he'll be a drop but you have to you have to try him
1: yeah I mean, I get what you're saying. I'm just nervous, right? Cuz like we're at the point now or if he blows up, that could like hurt you, you know? And he doesn't strike me as someone like I I'm a little more nervous in him than like Valmalka, maybe at this point. But maybe that's more me and not a Merazic thing. Like yeah, definitely there's a high upside here, right? The Leafs are a good team. If he's going to be their starter until Campbell comes back, there is word that Campbell is like starting to progress. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I I, I can't disagree with you that Mrazek is someone you have to probably go for. But I'm just saying I'm nervous.
0: Of course. That's what Mrazek has done to us
1: yeah he's traumatized me too much, okay. two more teams to go. Buffalo plays twelve times, and St. Louis plays twelve times. That's talking four, four, four. The best you can get over in Buffalo. I think we've got ourselves a killer playoff fantasy ad here. This is the perfect recipe. you need to you got a team with the best possible schedule over the next three weeks with only one line that produces. It doesn't produce all the time, but it's one line that produces least somewhat consistently. And there's one member of that line that has mysteriously gone cold, which maybe has led to him getting dropped in some leagues. I'm talking about Alex Tuck and his one goal and two assists over his last 10 games. I'm seeing that Buffalo played today against, we talked about this earlier in the show, right? Against the Rangers, where Vitrano and Kop got all those points. What did Alex Tuck do? No points. I'm surprised like so I I guess you'll answer if like this cold streak is super sustainable but he's still top line he's still top power play um but he's now only rostered in you know like fewer than 25 percent of leagues so with this great playoff schedule and this great deployment I think he's someone I take a shot on even though he's cold
0: yeah you got to go get Alex Tuck if he's out there in your league this is a top line player who emerged that way Pretty much immediately, once he got his opportunity after never having gotten it in Vegas, which we talked about often, like he could have top line potential, but he's never had the shot. Now he is and he's taking advantage. Yes, Alex Tuck is cold, but that's because going into today, he was only getting in on a quarter of the goals scored at five on five over this cold stretch. And that's like he's probably going to more likely be in on three quarters. That's a stat that will regress to a higher number. Also, uh, Buffalo's shooting only 7% with him on the ice. So there are fewer goals for him to assist on. And Tuck himself has no goals on 20 shots in this run when i think normally you'd have a couple there so yeah if you have him hold him and if he's been dropped by someone impatient buffalo has this great playoff schedule and alex tuck is their best player well i guess tage thompson is actually making a case too he's been amazing also so there's a couple great value guys on buffalo but i imagine tuck is the one more likely to be available to you in which case you should jump on him yeah,
1: like Skinner and Thompson, also great. I just don't think they're available. Tuck someone, yeah, who might be, and I agree with you. And it's even good to hear that you're giving all these, you know, bad luck reasons. He's on the ice when the team is scoring. He just happens to not be getting an assist. Bad shooting luck. It's like, all the re- Like, this is what we do with Keevan Carlson. We find these gems. It's easy for us to tell you to grab someone who's scoring a lot of points take our advice, I'm pretty confident that Alex Tuck is going to be good for you, especially even if he's still a little cold, if he only gets two points, that's probably still better than what you'll get out of someone who only plays three times, right? In a week, you know, because, anyways, you, you got what I'm saying. Alright, the other team is the St. Louis Blues, who plays 4-4-4. Four, four, four. I think we know the book on the Blues at this point. On Thursday, Ben and I talked about Perron running hot. On Saturday was the Bucinievich and Thomas line. That both had, you know, that did well, and both of those guys had multi-point games and the 6-3 loss to the Isles. To, my, to me, this is how the Blues work. It's obvious. If you have any of, like, O'Reilly, Peron, Shen Kair Tarasenko Buchnevich Thomas and if they have a four game week like they have each of the next three weeks you're gonna get like probably two good games maybe more but like if they have a couple bad games like if Rob Thomas goes pointless in the first two games of the week I like don't even ask. Like I'm telling you that my advice will be to still hold on because it's very likely that he'll then have two multi-point games to end the week. So that's my book on the Blues at this point. They like spread the offense around, so they're not always all hot every game. But it doesn't take long for one of these lines to do something. So you can let me know if you disagree. I, I don't really have much else to talk about the Blues. Like Brian, I, I assume you're not going to recommend Nick Letty with Krug out. Uh, I don't. No. I don't want to recommend Nick Letty.
0: No, I we're, I mean, sure. If you if you need to take a desperation shot, the Blues are playing off enough that maybe Nick luddy hits on the right time for you, but I, I'm not recommending him. in fact I'll, I'll name another guy who you haven't mentioned Brandon Sod as someone who's been very hit or miss. All your perfect illustration of this last 20 games he's pointed in nine of them and he's averaging half a point per game in that stretch, which is basically his season. So you can try with Brandon Sod. I think there are lots of streamers who don't have that 50% hit rate that Brandon Sod has. Uh, otherwise you know it's a cardio shift for him sometimes he has uh, you know he does absolutely nothing across the board sometimes he has multi-point nights so brandon sod is the definition of a dice roll stream really and if you're looking that deep in your free agent pool um you know maybe in each of these four game weeks he points twice which could be worthwhile to you depending on your format so i'll just that just add him to your watch list as someone to potentially stream in
1: Yeah, definitely. Schedule is king sometimes in these fantasy playoffs, but also at the same time, we've been talking all episode about schedule. Don't forget that your superstars are superstars, right? You're not going to be dropping Patrick Kane because Chicago only plays two times in the semis. So hopefully people won't make any bad decisions rostering players who play more games over like superstars. But I think the listeners that are making it to their fantasy playoffs know that at this point. Thank you for joining us for this marathon episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, where we ran through every single team in the league, looking at their playoff schedules, dropping tidbits. I hope you liked it. Tweeted us at Keeping Carlson. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your feedback. We'd love to talk hockey. We want to give you some advice. You know, if you have any advice questions, we're going to be happy to answer them. If you have, like, a lot of advice questions, if you really want to dig in deep, come hang out in our patron-only Discord server, where all the fantasy heads are there, and we're all trying to help each other out, except for people playing against each other in the couple. I guess they don't want to help their opponents, but you know what I'm saying. We have a lot of fun. You could. Sign up now, you know, hang out for a month, get through the playoffs, then you can always cancel if you don't want to hang out for the summer. Though I do recommend that the patrons do hang out for the summer because we're going to be, after uh, April, lowering the price or like the pledge amount that gets you all of our perks down to to, like any amount you want to give us, like a buck a month even. So you can hang out all summer. We're going to have a lot of fun in the Patreon over the summer. We're still going to be dropping episodes. We're going to get into beat writer interviews after the season. We're going to start doing the playoff pool. We're going to have uh our rankings of players for the drafts next year so like we're not going to stop so if you are a patron we hope you'll hang on and if you're not a patron come sign up now and the price is about to go down right to get into our awesome community so yeah just want to throw that out there keepingcarlson.com slash patron we'll always take a five-star review on apple podcast if you'd be so kind but with that brian i'm gonna stop my blabbering why don't i cue the outro music and you can read us the credits
0: all right 400 episodes it's only right that we went 400 hours today to help get you all ready for your fantasy playoffs this episode of the keep it carlson fantasy hockey podcast was presented by dauber hockey and powered by our patrons including our super supporters tom derek andrea david christopher rob Flash, Patty, and Tyler. You're all the greatest. Uh, all our patrons are the greatest. You know who else is the greatest? Kevin Bear, our KCUPful coordinator and our team of co Uh Thanks to, to all for guiding us through an amazing cupful regular season. KKUPFL.com if you want to check out more. Uh, thanks to you, Elon and Shams Benamore for the amazing stream of news on Twitter at GamedayLions, at GamedayNewsNHL and at GamedayGoalies all available at GamedayTweets.com You couldn't have made it easier to keep up on all the fantasy relevant news that comes through every day. Make sure to listen to Short Shifts midweek and follow Ben and Lewis at Short Shifts KK and also listen and follow uh, to Dave and his at NHL stream scheme uh, link in the show notes logo art by brandonweeb.com. Uh, also Brandon did the logos for our new suite of game day tweets logos, So you should definitely check that out. Outro music by Pat Roach. And this episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Tools, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stature, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, The Athletic, HockeyGoalies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Biz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, and NBC Sports Edge, and Yahoo! great job
1: as always brian i had such a blast over this past couple of hours talking about all these teams with you looking forward to uh, i believe i'll be joining ben for one of the shortest episodes this week lewis is still on vacation and ben's gonna have another guest for the other episodes we're gonna have a lot of fun in our feed make sure you're subscribed and brian i'll talk to you next sunday and hopefully we'll still be talking to a lot of people still alive in their fantasy playoffs
0: i can't wait to tell you. L- let us know how everything's going at keeping carlson too uh and you know, during your fantasy clubs, whether you're in or out, make sure you're doing this one thing, which is helping us make sure that fantasy hockey is for everyone.